and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that's willing to give Jimmy T a chance. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, I wish I owned a pair of alligator skin shoes, really. I'm Mike Bloom, and I'll see those shoes and raise you a pair of nice warm socks. I'm Paul Ostelson, blister-free since 1990. <laughs> and welcome to our ongoing coverage of Survivor History, where we will now delve into what some have called the Dark Ages of Survivor, the three seasons immediately following Heroes vs. Villains, as we start on Survivor Nicaragua. They, they ran the I Love the 80s shows. Where they had like they talked about like things in the eighties and they had celebrities and musicians and stuff like that talk about stuff from the eighties and then they had like I love the nineties because I love the eighties was so familiar and then they did I love the two thousands and it's like it was literally like two thousand four two thousand five when this show aired and it was funny because I think they had like Dave Grohl from Nirvana and the Foo Fighters on there and he was just basically like yeah they're basically saying like do you remember when this thing happened like yesterday <laughs> I believe Dave Grohl is actually a Survivor fan as well so it comes full circle. Hey, there you go. And it's like, I know that Nicaragua is, is season 21 and, and we are well past that in this season, but uh, in, in this day and age. But at the same time, it's like, I sort of feel like, yeah, remember when this thing happened just now? <laughs> so at this point in time, I would love to get your guys sort of like placements in history from your own perspective, because we're about to talk about a very interesting period in Survivor history. Actually, I know we don't like to date the podcast, but it's not too dissimilar from the time of recording this. We're like big landmark anniversary returnee season just aired and a lot of survivor fans were wondering and are wondering like where the hell do we go from here as a show at this point in time like what was the state of your guys survivor fandom were you eagerly waiting for for what season 21 was gonna bring were you just like okay you know i'll, I'll just sort of like go along with the motions for now i i feel very strongly about this it's something that i've uh, thought about for a long time, like even when it was happening, um, it took a long time for me after Heroes versus Villains had even aired for me to think like, okay, Survivor should have continued on because Heroes versus Villains felt like such a bookend season, and I always was of the opinion I feel like Survivor should have like closed the chapter and then really like put all their energy into creating, you know, part two. And I think. Um, I don't know how many minutes into the episode you get when you hear a reference to Rob and Russell in the season, you realize very quickly they're not ready to open that new chapter and it's going to take several years before we finally are able to move past what has just happened in in season 20. So um, this season is, we'll, we'll talk about it and um, you know we talked about in the pre-season uh, or pre-podcasting here about how the reputation of Nicaragua is that it's very weird. And so I'm excited for that discussion, but I will, I will make that statement right now. It's very weird because it's like survivor tries a lot of new things here to move the show forward. But I think it's so stuck in its old ways that it's why the season is clunky in many aspects. Yeah. Uh, to back into what Paul just said that I've found in survivor history, they always have a hard time with the next season after the all-star season. Yeah. Because there's still a lot of momentum going on. People are still talking about that one. The audience isn't really ready to accept new players. And I always thought Vanuatu had that problem. Even though I don't really call Micro an all-star season, it kind of was a half-assed season. But the season after that was, what, Gabon? And that was not really well-received at the time. Nicaragua falls right into the same boat, especially after a big season like Heroes vs. Villains. Me, personally, 
I, this will not surprise anybody, but my attitude around season 21 was, is this show going to end? Why are they still going? So that was 20 seasons ago. I'm still thinking that, but yeah, I was kind of surprised they were even still going like, really, it's still going, but yeah, we're about to enter a whole new era. And like Paul said, it's a very clunky season. We, I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about, but that is the one thing that defines Nicaragua. What an odd season it is and how hard it is to watch sometimes. I think for me, you know, this is sort of the sweet spot of, of a lot of things in the sense that, you know, we are, to me, this is, to me, this is, this is around the time where like Survivor it just becomes this kind of like, I don't want to say grind because I don't think that's the right word, but you know, you're in this rhythm with it, right? Where seasons mm-hmm. are coming out and all that sort of stuff. And yes, routine. I, I routine. And I do understand the gravitas behind season 20 and whatnot, but I mean, it's not like, it's not like there was this big question, right? Of like season 20, like they announced season 21 and you weren't super surprised about it. So like you knew that survivor was going to continue, right? So you have all these existential questions of, Oh, what's it going to look like and blah, blah, blah. And, and Mario brings up a good point about, how seasons after all-star seasons usually are kind of like this letdown because you had this, you know, big energy going with all this big returnee season and all that sort of stuff. But I was pretty much in the stride and, you know, podcasting and, and, and Rob Sesternino's empire and whatnot, it's, it's kicking up around this time. And, and so, you know, you have all of this media to consume other than survivor. So like, it's, it's this whole juggernaut that's kind of routinely going and that's all well and good. Something that I didn't know at the time. And and the reason why Nicaragua, like I kind of enjoy a lot of aspects of this season. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I do find uh, lots of fun with some of the characters and some of the things. And I appreciate some of the efforts they did to try some things new. But what I didn't know at the time, but it was one of those, you know, I didn't know, but my brain did sort of uh, uh, subconsciously sort of thing is that this is sort of where Survivor is starting to really cut corners with some of their production, you know, mm-hmm. and and sort of do a lot of easy tricks. And it, I think it became very apparent to me later in the season that 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 this is the kind of the route that was going. And, and to me, this is very disappointing because the reason why I don't love a couple of the next you know, foray of seasons, not just in the, oh, the characters suck or, oh, idols or, oh, this. It's just kind of like they literally have have turned this into some, like, uh, you know, Johnny Cut Corners routine. Because, you know, you may not like Vanuatu all you want, but Vanuatu, they put a ton of effort into that show, you know, with, mm-hmm. with the with the with the theme and the place and trying to tie everything in and it's like survivor nicaragua like they didn't even use russ landau's nicaragua theme i'll point it out to you guys because you won't hear it but i'm putting the new version or the proper version i'll say of the russ landau version in the <laughs> intro for this because the story was that russ landau came in with like a very spanish influenced soundtrack and specifically the the take on ancient voices and when you hear it you hear trumpets and you hear pan flutes and it's amazing and the show basically said no we're just gonna use the extended borneo intro and so it's a pretty big crime and i mean i i don't think it's uh too coincidental that russ landau is going to end up leaving the show about three years from the point that this comes on but yeah i mean i think yeah, I sort of echo what you guys all said in that it's it's always going to be a weird season. It's always going to be a tough act to follow when you have this big hallmark returnee anniversary season. For some reason, one of the reasons why Nicaragua works is so weird is not just because of all the twists that they get thrown in there. Because again, like you said, Jay, like a Vanuatu had 18 contestants, uh, you know, the double tribal council, like all this stuff going on to make it pretty weird. But I would put forward 
that outside of the season Edge of Extinction, this might be the weirdest storytelling of a season that I have (laughs) ever experienced in Survivor, where usually when it comes to, like, not necessarily a winner's edit, but just, like, an edit of who's running the show or whose story is this, it's essentially become, like, one big play action, where the ball is constantly getting past and forth to the point where we're going to talk about the first four episodes here, which I sort of agree with Jay. I actually really like these first four episodes, and it might be the strongest part of the season, to be quite honest. But looking at these first four characters, like, it's all about them. So then after they leave, you're like, okay, who are we supposed to focus on now? And that ends up becoming the entire onus of the season to the point where, like, the last man standing is this guy that's just been there the entire time, but it's never been entirely about him. that's one of the weird things to talk about. It's it's the whole, you know, when when someone, you know, talks about, uh, like, ensemble shows, you know, they're just like, who's the star, right? Like, wh- who's the person we're, we're, we're focusing around, right? And and with Nicaragua, it's not necessarily that, but it's like, you know, look at Survivor Thailand, and I think one of the reasons why people don't love Survivor Thailand is they look at that final two, and they're like, who am I rooting for? Am I rooting for Brian, or am I rooting for Clay, right? And it's like... it's dicey either way right but you know you had people up until the end that you did like namely helen and 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 there were some good spots in there um but like with nicaragua like look at kind of like the the last handful of people remaining and i feel like the survivor producers are looking at like literally like the final six you know and just kind of going who's who do we like who's (laughs) likable who who are, what what's happening right and like you know we'll talk about it and they they form some narrative around jane but jane also has problems as well and i just feel like they kind of looked at nicaragua and were like oh god <laughs> <laughs> well yeah that's something i wanted to talk about for sure that i like nicaragua this is a season i've always really liked even though i will honestly flat out say it doesn't work as a story but i still like watching it i was like i think it's been compared in the past to like an uh, episode of saturday night live where all there's all these little comedy sketches going on that don't add up at anything bigger but they're still fun to watch but it's not really mm-hmm. a survivor season and i think i've heard people call it a snack season which i love that description this is a snack season this is just if you just want to put some survivor in and enjoy it for a while and just uh you know it's like a potato chips there's no active good calories in there but it's kind of fun to snack on for a while that's That's, nicaragua it's so funny you say that mario i'll just interrupt you just for a second because so in preparation for this podcast i watched um you know the first four episodes that hopefully we're going to get to in this and when i was watching like the first two episodes like so intently and taking notes like it was a little bit of a chore i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie and then um, usually, usually I'm really intense. And then as my rewatch goes on, I kind of I loosen up a little bit because I'm um, more into it and and don't have to be as um, uh, intentional with my note taking. And then even this morning, when I put it on the background, as, as I was doing work this morning, just to get it kind of back in my head again. And I was enjoying it so much, just in the background, like just Survivor Light. Like I was having so much more fun with it when I wasn't taking it seriously, and it was like mm. a snack in the background. So it, it's, I had that same thought today. So I'm glad you put it that way. Oh, good. You know, you know, it, it actually reminds me the the editing style in particular actually reminds me a bit of like an Australian Survivor thing. Where, again, like, the typical American survivor narrative is, okay, it's all about who wins or, like, you know, the big person who loses. So let's build that person up episode by episode. But Nicaragua, again, especially these first four episodes, are all about, like, almost putting forward the star of the week. Mm -hmm. So it's less to answer your question, Jay, the star of the season. Nicaragua is much more about, like, okay, who's important for that week? And how are we going to highlight them in that way? So we're going to get... 
four very, very big characters to talk about, but then, conducively, we're going to talk about, like, the next five episodes after that are all like, who are these people, and why should we care about them going all of a sudden? Well, yeah, one thing I gotta say is, Nicaragua, this is how you gotta put this season in historical context, I think. It's like the perfect storm of everything that could go wrong for the editors and the producers in trying to do a mm-hmm. show like Survivor. It follows an all-star season. It follows Russell's era. It, uh, the winner controls nothing. Um, you have a double quit with like seven days left in the game where two of the major players just bail out even though they're in the majority. You have one of the probably, I mean, arguably the most famous person who has ever been on Survivor, Jimmy Johnson. So he's got to control the narrative part of the season. You have some of the worst conditions the players have ever faced ever. Like, it's just there's like I just I think you mentioned it earlier, Mike, that the editors are like, oh, my God, what do we do with this season? They can't do anything. So I have such sympathy that the editors at least tried. And, you know, they try to turn it into a series of comedy sketches. And again, I've written about this season so much. I've had so much fun with it on the Funny 115. It's a season that's near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons. But, yeah, it's just everything that could have gone wrong from a production stand of, uh, point of view, it did. And I think that in a weird way, it's sort of like a deconstruction in the sense of, I think you, dear viewer, who watches Survivor, again, it's we have harped on this for all of our episodes of Historians. How many episodes do we have now? 11 billion? I don't know how many we have, but we have literally said over and over again, this is, you are not seeing a pure game out there. You are seeing a very, very heavy edited form of this 24-hour game, you know, for 39 days that these guys are playing. Yes, I know there's sleep and all that sort of stuff, but like, you know, we're getting three days usually of material in the things we're not seeing everything controlled the game it's like you know in some ways but there was a lot of things that they didn't know was going on you know and and there's lots of you know luck things that you know happen here and there but it's like all that all that faff kind of gets i think edited out right where we can get this nice clear narrative of like this is how the votes are going this is how the people are thinking all that sort of stuff whereas as you said mario nicaragua is so crazy because like (laughs) the double quit and you know our winner and you know you know the fact that the double quit was in the majority alliance and there's all this sort of like weird stuff going on that i think that in a weird way we are along for the ride in Nicaragua. Like I imagine if you're going on survivor, the experience is just nothing that all, all of us at home can imagine. Cause I'm sure there's just so many things happening and things happen. And you're like, well, wait, how did, I didn't know that was going up. What? And like, I think that Nicaragua is a very perfect example of just wait, what, what, what do you do? What's going on? I don't, what? <laughs> well, okay. That leads into the question. This season, as I said earlier, is always, if you go on Survivor message boards or podcasts, they call this the Dark Ages of Survivor. Seasons 21 through 23, Nicaragua, Redemption Island, and South Pacific. So I'll pose this question right at the start. Do you think that is a fair assessment? Is this indeed the Dark Ages of Survivor? Well, first, I would also say you have to throw One World in there. Oh, yeah, sorry. Like, you have to, have to throw One World in there. Because even Redemption Island even has its defenders, but I do not think One World has a single defender uh, to its name. And in that perspective, it's interesting because I think it depends on what you're looking at. Because I feel like 21 through 24 was the show making bad choices 
realizing it made bad choices and then sort of course correcting. Whereas I think the other argument is that, to be honest, the current age of the show is the Dark Ages. And that's more of a perspective of the production is making bad choices and they think they're making good choices. Now, that being said, I watch the show first and foremost for the casting. And from a casting perspective, I definitively think this is the Dark Ages where you get a lot of fun characters. But I really do think 21 through 24, I don't know what was going on, but man, they were having trouble finding like a good, solid cast of complete interesting personalities <laughs> to fill out an entire cast. Whereas I think nowadays, I would personally say the the strongest part of Modern Survivor is the casting. So they at least got that part down that wouldn't necessarily make it the darkest age to me. How about you, uh, Jay and Paul? I'm curious your thoughts on this one, because this, this is something Mike and I disagree with, ve- disagree on vehemently. I was going to respond with, yes, I agree. Well, <laughs> and it's <laughs> like, I don't... Like Mike was kind of alluding to, like I I haven't had enough time to reflect on where Survivor has been in the past few years, so we very well may be in a darker time. But I think for a long time I agree with it in a lot of ways, and maybe not darkest like time period. I feel like it just was like a dark limbo period where they were like it took a couple years for them to realize what where the show needed to go. And so I I think that there was like I'm not as maybe down on the cast as Mike is. I mean there are a lot of issues. I think it's they were they like a, the direction of the show was what was made it really dark is that they're like trying to trying to move on with the show but holding on to so many things and then I just feel like we we see like we'll talk about in these first four episodes like the structure of the game that they 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 play so much with like the rules of the game and the rules of the idols and the rules of the medallion of power and all these things that just really kind of detract from what was happening or happening organically. I think if you stopped watching like we did after episode four, you would, there was, would be so much promise for the stories in the season. And then it just, it just explodes. So um, I guess, I guess, yes, I agree. It's a very dark time in survivor. I'll agree with Mike on that. (sighs) Um, well, let's put it this way. I watched all of these seasons, 21 through 24 or, or all that. And, uh, I continued to watch survivor. Whereas today, I don't think I've watched the last two or three seasons of survivor. That's right. So that's kind of my opinion on that. That being said though, I think that it's just piggybacking off of what I said earlier in the sense that to me, I don't even want to say lazy because that's not the right word. And I don't want to c- accuse people who make this show of being lazy. But this is this is where they were like, we're going to start, you know, we're going to start, you know, Nicaragua was different. And I get that, that that's a different locale. But, you know, this is sort of starting the era where we're just going to stay in one country forever. We're just going to have kind of the same props for challenges and kind of just redress them a little bit and recycle everything from from here on out. And then they were like, well, a lot of our. A lot of our new contestants that we're getting aren't super great. Let's bring returnees back to have sort of things. And to me, it's this sort of maybe it's kind of like what Paul said in the sense that they're trying to move forward, but they're also trying to inject some sort of old survivor in there to like, you know, have that nostalgia factor or familiarity factor so that, you know, we can the the show can kind of keep and, and beef itself up. And it's like to me, this whole era 
you know, I like some of these seasons and I actually like some of these seasons more than I think other people like some of these seasons, but I don't want to say that I like them. You know what I mean? Like, I actually think there's quite a bit of merit to Redemption Island. Uh, I don't, Redemption is nowhere near one of my favorite seasons and I don't want to put that out there, but I mean, everyone's like Redemption Island is like the worst season ever. And I'm like, eh, it's not the worst season ever. It's better than some, but you know, to me, this whole era is just kind of like, it makes me sad because I just feel like uh, we're just gonna kind of budget the show and this is what the show is going to be. And we're just going to kind of keep it in this box and, and, and go from here. And that's what it is. And it's like, you know, people talk about how, oh, you know, Survivor, you know, it, it gets the steady, it gets the steady amount of ratings and it does this and it does that and all this ad work and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, you've, you've created this kind of steady little machine of a show. And to me, this is kind of like them creating that steady machine. Whereas like part of what I loved about the show was the variety and, and the effort that was put into it. And they just sort of took all that out in this in this time frame. And that makes me sad. OK, I actually agree with Jay quite a bit. And but I'm going to draw a different conclusion because I agree with you. This is where the show really starts getting a little cheaper and less special. But there's no way I could possibly call this the dark ages when I would say seasons 10 years after this are so much worse. Like I can understand. I think, yeah, this is the transition where it starts getting a little sad sometimes for a once proud franchise. But like when I'm going through the seasons we want to talk about on historians, I'm looking at Nicaragua, Redemption Island, South Pacific. And I'm like, those are three of the most interesting seasons to talk about from a production point of view, from a podcast point of view. So, like, I've always held those in high regard for historians. Uh, not so much World uh, One World, which, as Mike pointed out, I even forgot when naming the Dark Seasons. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't speak much to that one. But, like, I really enjoy Nicaragua for what it is. Just, uh, like, it's not the best season of Survivor. But I absolutely disagree when people always put this among the worst of all time. I don't think this is anywhere near the weird. Like, it's the weirdest, perhaps. But it's so much more fun to watch than a lot of seasons that came after it yeah i would agree i think we're all on the same page that i do not think this is the worst season ever i think it also just depends on what you watch the show for because again if you're watching this thing for a cohesive narrative buddy this ain't it but that being said it's not like we can't have some fun uh with just all of the zaniness that happened over the course of nicaragua in case it hasn't been made very clear dear viewer we're sort of past the point now. Like everyone's like, hey, historians keep doing seasons, right? And we're like, okay. And that was always the big question with historians. Like, when do we stop doing seasons? Do we stop at some point? And it's like, hey, Mario loves attention. We're going to keep doing this show. <laughs> but, you know, with a lot of the the early seasons, a lot of our point with the show was kind of like, look at these early seasons. And we're trying to, you know, pump them up to new viewers or, or to people who are who are newer to Survivor than, than perhaps the year 2000. And, and we're basically saying look at the look at the wonderful we're defending these old seasons right and it's like here we are halfway defending Nicaragua by saying it's not the worst season ever but by no means are any of us defending this season and so that's kind of the point that I think we're getting into here uh people listening is that we're no longer defending the seasons we're just going to talk about them as maybe they aren't the worst thing ever but that's about all we got Well, yeah, one other thing, I I hear a lot of arguments nowadays, people either say Nicaragua is like the worst season ever, or it's super underrated, and it's actually a great season. And I can't buy into that argument either, because even I, you know, the most ardent defender of seasons that are fun, little snack seasons with goofy character moments, 
even I will admit this season does not work at all. There's no way you can make any argument that the narrative works when they get to the end, other than one guy's left standing because everybody else shoots themselves. Like it's a, it's a Quentin Tarantino Mexican standoff. Yeah, or, they all or die. It's like, it's like Hamlet left. where every, everyone else dies. And then here comes Fortinbras at the end. Like, all right, I guess you're King now. And then Curtin. <laughs> yeah. I just recently did a funny 115 entry on spoiler, how Fabio won Nicaragua. And even I was shocked at how little control or even say he had in most of the narrative. He literally has no say in the narrative until like the last two episodes or three episodes. And there's like, there's no way you can make a story out of that. So again, it's a fun season, but it's not, you cannot make the argument it's underrated and it's a secret great season either. Cause it's not defin- definitively. All right. So you guys ready to delve into a story where there's no story? I mean, let's start right from the very beginning with the weird-ass choice to have them separated into two random groups of ten to, to walk the beaches separately. Oh, that is bad. Like, so un- like, so unnecessary. Like, can I just say this? We're going to talk a lot about Wendy and this thing. I watched some of the pregame um, interviews that Dalton Ross had posted with some of the contestants. I only got through a handful of them, but I Wait, wanted to see Wendy. Why we talk about Wendy, Paul? What? Oh, we, I know. I'm so excited. Um, but she said... Even like Dalton's like, did you like he, Dalton Ross was interviewing her and was like, oh, you know, do you have any ideas about um, any twist they might throw into the game? And she's like, I think I know it's going to be the older people versus the younger people. It's going to be 10 versus 10. I was like, hey, if Wendy figured this out before the game started, like, why are we going through this charade? <laughs> so unnecessary. <laughs> OK, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room here. We have our first Montana contestant since Amanda, correct? <laughs> right. And I want to like, if you actually go to her wiki, it says like, she's actually the only real Montanan because Amanda wasn't living in Montana <laughs> at the time. She is not from Montana. Her, that accent, that no. dialect, whatever that, that is bizarre. That is not I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty confident that she's an alien who just <laughs> was living in Montana when she beamed down. <laughs> I mean, it's very weird to me that there's someone I've, I've probably run into her at some point because she works like two miles from my house. Like she lives in a, a small town that's in about 45 minutes away from where I live. But, um, you know, I've known people who've run into her. Like one of my brother's friends was like, oh, yeah, we were because she's like a, she works at the um, community college, like uh, in the nursing department there. And someone said, oh, yeah, um, we I met uh, I met Wendy from Survivor because she was like leading my class and she couldn't believe that it was like the first time she'd been recognized or something like that. <laughs> so you are literally her neighbor. She lives right by you. She lives like down the road from me, pretty much. Well, like, Does she ever come only, over to only... ask to borrow a cup of freedom or anything? <laughs> there's only like two. There's only like two cities in Montana, Mario. There's 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 Montana City and the other one. Yeah, horse town, <laughs> Montana <Yeah>. town. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so another I'm glad great we can Montana bring back the uh, trademark of historians, the Montana joke. So thank you, Wendy Joe. Uh, we should also bring up here before we get into the season proper that you know. People are saying, oh, yeah, Survivor's always been on the air on Wednesdays. Not true. Survivor was on the air on Wednesday in Borneo. People who weren't watching the time might not know that up until this point, since then, it's been airing on Thursdays. But I remember it was a big deal that for the first time since the very first season, Survivor's coming back to Wednesday nights. I'm still not sure why they made the choice. But again, going back to Paul's point about them trying to sort of like have their cake and eat it too of it's a brand new phase, but we still want to acknowledge the 10 years of Survivor that came before it. Mm -hmm. For them to take the Borneo time slot and really tout that out as a marketing point is like exactly proving that. What I I think I remember from the time, just as a quick side note, is I think that um, at that time, NBC had their big um, comedy lineup during that time. 
and CBS wanted to try to compete. So I think they did they move Big Bang Theory to that time slot or something. I think it was something where CBS wanted to compete with the with some comedy shows there, if I remember correctly. So Survivor is forever being moved around to try to take down NBC comedies because uh, astute historian listeners will remember the reason Survivor moved from Wednesday to Thursday in season two was so Survivor could take down Friends. That was the big mm-hmm. problem. All right. So uh, uh, one thing I like to do is put things in historical perspective. And it's funny how Nicaragua is remembered now is in no way how Nicaragua was perceived when it first started. And I should point this out that this will forever be remembered as the season with the medallion of power. This big new twist, which I swear to God lasts like four episodes and is never mentioned again and makes no difference in anything. So stupid. So <laughs> oh stupid. My God. It's, so, it's, so well, stupid. I would say make it make a difference, but like, God, you could so see the thumb on the scale with production here, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know how much we want to yada yada through finding it, but when they find the medallion of power, and the thing is, okay, you have this mysterious twist, but you could trade it for flint and fishing gear which are like two of the huge things people are dying for in the first six days of the game like that they're really trying to build this up as oh man this is just as important as fire and food in the game when it's really like okay you have a marginal advantage and a challenge like eve said don't there's some line where eve quickly says like um don't winners wear gold yeah exactly (laughs) the winner quote the eve winner quote (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that's it's funny on lists of survivor message boards and stuff when they list the worst twists of all time. The medallion of power will always be mentioned even though it does nothing. It's it's not significant to the season at all. And I love how uh how much ire it raises in people. Well, it's tough because I think the question is are worst twists ones that like actively fuck with the game? or ones that are just, like, do not mean anything whatsoever. Yeah. And so I think for those who are saying that, like, oh, this is the worst twist because li- literally nothing changed because of it, then it wouldn't make sense. But we're going to get into something the very next season that shakes the structure of Survivor to its core, and some might argue is actually a worse twist. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that you get that on the list, because people talk about, like, things that on Survivor that just were stupid and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I'm sure on someone somewhere, they're like, remember in the first season in Borneo where they, like, tried to pass around a conch shell at Tribal Council? And it's like, I think that that's sort of the medallion of power in the sense that, like, they tried an idea, and, and to me, I give them kudos for trying. It's a stupid idea. I don't love it, but hey, kudos for them for trying it and i also kudos to them for you know not bringing it back ever (laughs) and and but you're right like it's one of those twists where it's literally a nothing burger at the end of the day and so i guess that's the whole the whole thing when you're talking about worst twists ever is it worse because nothing came of it or is it worse because you know it was just an idea that sucked and and they they never even like tried to do it again well, not only that, it was also, I would imagine, brought in mostly in part due to the makeup of the cast mm-hmm. this season, right? In yeah, that, it makes sense. Yeah, once they found out that it was essentially going to be a tribe divided by age where it was, and I forgot that it was 30 and under versus 40 plus, like, screw off if you're in your 30s, despite the fact that at this point, the vast majority of Survivor winners were people in their 30s. Uh, they were essentially saying, like, okay, we're, we're doing this battle of the ages, but I think on paper, the first thing you would say is, well, the older people are going to be much more disadvantaged in the challenge. And I think we even see that with the challenges proper. Like, they're much more landlocked. It's much less pure strength-based, as we see in this first little batch of things when things are still divided. 
But I think they also brought in the medallion power in part to be like, let's give the older people a chance by giving them something that literally is like a materialized advantage in a challenge. <laughs> well, you, you don't want to pick you don't want to pick 30 year olds, Mike, because as Jake told us, you know, you need to pick the athletic people. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> An old poll from Jay. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I'm yeah, just keeping uh... it real. Yeah, I love the medallion of power because there's a certain point in the season where you can see the producers saying, oh, poopy, when they realize the young people will just hold on to it and never lose ever again. <laughs> so anyway, but that's the one thing I wanted to point out, that when the season aired, the reputation it had was, oh, my God, the medallion of power, this new twist. And, oh, my God, Jimmy Johnson's on a season, the most Ugh. famous player ever in history. Yeah. So that's the reputation the season had at the time, which is not what it has now. A lot of people probably don't even remember Jimmy Johnson was on Survivor. Or if you're like Paul, have no idea who Jimmy Johnson is. Thanks to Survivor, I know who he is. But, um, I mean, just this whole the whole intro to the whole thing is so stupid that we have them divided into these random-ass tribes that they – like line up, run around in the bushes for a while, find the the medallion, but then they can swap it out to win some to win this other reward, and then they go back to their real. I mean, it's like the whole thing is so stupid. Yeah. They could have cut out the first ten minutes of the show; it would have been fine. That's the thing is that I can't believe we spend an act break on this. The first quarter to third of the episode is the opening match chat because you said, Paul, there's so much pomp and circumstance between. Of course, now, since we've done this every time since Token Sheens, we now get sort of get, like, the first impression. Uh, there's actually a pretty rude thing where someone's speaking about, like, the way people walk and it immediately cuts to poor Kelly Bruno. Uh, <laughs> so that's going to be her major storyline from now on. I, th I, go I think it cuts to Alita saying, like, I think she might have a problem with her hip. Yeah, exactly, which is like, maybe that's why she thought she should have been on the older tribe, if that indeed is a hip problem. But then they go hunting in the lagoon for a while for the medallion power. Then they come back. Then Jeff has to reveal the true makeup of the tribes. Then they have to decide if they're going to swap the medallion of power. So yeah, there, there's a lot involved in these first, like, 11 minutes uh, that really sort of gives them the hurry up, for lack of a better term, for the rest of it. Of Okay, and then we have one challenge, and then we sort of have tribal council after that. <laughs> And again, I have to point out the random winner quote from Eve, of all people, when she holds up the medallion of power and says, isn't it true that winners wear gold? Although mm -hmm. it's on Marty at the time. So I guess it's technically a Marty winner's quote, but it's said by Eve, the player who 95% of Survivor fans could not name if they named Nicaragua cast members. We should also mention, though, that the first quote of confessional of the season does indeed go to our winner, Fabio. But in true Fabio fashion, he's just talking about how he feels like he's now living in a zoo. <laughs> and I pointed this out in my funny 115 entry. The very first shot of Kelly Purple is her face obscured behind a tree branch, which I think is so fitting. <laughs> I really wanted Jeff to to do like a uh, like to give some sort of he's like, all right, guys, go look for the medallion of power it is definitely on the ground, man. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so to sum it up. They're divided into young versus old. It's all this pomp and circumstance that leads nowhere. And then Brenda gets the medallion of power. And we, of course, get a shot of Jimmy Johnson saying good job. Because literally the entire narrative of the first three episodes for Espada will be, what's Jimmy Johnson doing? Yeah, exactly. He's very much the poochie of Espada. Of when Jimmy Johnson's not poochie. on screen, we should be asking, what's Jimmy Johnson doing? <laughs> Where's Poochie? <laughs> Where's Jimmy Johnson? <laughs> But okay, I, also, so I, I love I love that Shannon said like, oh, damn it. I wanted the old football coach. It's like, look at your tribe. 
look at the other charts, specifically just look at the concept of Dan Lembo. I think you got the better shake, bro. <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to go back to what Mike said earlier, that the casting is weak in this season. How dare you call the Nicaragua cast weak, Mike? I mean, listen, I might call... I'm going to call episodes five through, like, ten boots week. These first four boots, again, they get so much airtime, and there's a good reason why they end up being the first four boots, but they light up the screen. Though I think, I don't know, it's it's tough with Shannon Elkins. He sort of is, is, in, is in sort of that Ben Browning mold of, like, objectively a terrible person, but, like, a, an intriguing and entertaining, I'll put in quotation, survivor character. I can't well, wait for Mario's Benry defense. <laughs> Well, I, I'm, my argument was going to go a different way. I think Fabio and Nayanka are two of the all-time great Survivor characters. So you have two in the same season, which is very rare, which is why I probably put this cast higher than you do, Mike. I don't know. For me, for me, it's less about, like, peaks, and it's more about, like, a steady slope. And yeah. I, I think we are climbing mountains right now with Nicaragua. Okay. I'm just saying there's some good characters in this season. Like, Marty, he was great for that era. There's some really good ones in here. Yeah, I think, and that's the reason why, again, the whole weirdness of, like, Marty, Brenda, and then Nayanka going out one, two, three is, is very much part of the oddness of oh, yeah. the storytelling of this season. <laughs> there could not be a bigger story killer than those three going all in a row. It's terrible. Okay, let's go to a spot at day one, which literally, like I said, is just Jimmy Johnson. That's the entire storyline. Although, we do get a nice moment here where crazy finds crazy, where Holly meets up with Wendy Joe. And they're like, I'm with you all the way, all the way, all the way, me and you all the way. Uh, and I love, well, Wendy Joe specifically says, you know what? I agree, which is just such an odd way to put it. But that's also Wendy Joe, right? Like, she's... okay. Yes. I, uh, I, I do appreciate that you have like, um, you, these two, like in a lot of ways, like similar from like small rural, like, you know, Montana, South Dakota neighbors here, um, before we, you know, talk all about uh, Wendy Joe this episode, my, my favorite introduction to Holly, which Holly's like one of my like favorite like contestants of this era. And um, it's kind of a shame we never, ever got to see her again because she cracks me up. Like, I know that they, every time they ask, you know, these players, they want them to connect everything to their real life and their jobs they do. I mean, that's what happens in reality TV. But like her introduction, like is pretty laughable when <laughs> she's comparing, she coaches a swim team in rural South Dakota. And there's a lot of personalities there on that swim team. So she's going to be really good at survivor because there's a lot of politics in South Dakota swim teams. <laughs> like, Whoa, what, a, what, what a diverse pool of personalities. I pictured like, they're all like, you know, 14 to 18 year old, like white kids from rural South Dakota that swim together. Like, wow. What, what a, you know. Yeah, it really is like it's very much I don't know, it's basically like house of cards there, right? You're dealing with so much backstabbing. It's about as diverse as Survivor Guatemala, you know. <laughs> They're all anti maskers too. Oh my god. But yeah, it's, it's I mean, this is gonna be a couple of episodes for Holly, but like you said, I think she very much finds a kindred spirit in Wendy Joe, and I think maybe only compared to like the the one two punch of Zane in Philippines and Francesca and Kara Moen, do we get like such a huge spotlight on a first boot. And it's because they are using up so much of the prophetic footage of Wendy Joe here, right? Cause this is Wendy Joe's like whole confessional about like, I want to take baby steps. I don't want to be the first person voted off. My husband thinks I'll be the first person voted off because he thinks I talk a lot. So I think I'm going to bite my tongue and hide my true self from my tribe mates. 
<laughs> I love that opening quote. My husband says I'm going to be the first one voted off. <laughs> but yeah, so I always forget that Holly is so crazy here. I remember Wendy Joe being nuts, but Holly's even worse. Like Holly spins off the deep end so quickly in this season. And then she has like this <laughs> amazing heroic growth arc later. But we'll talk about her. But yeah, I have a, I have a funny Holly story to share. Okay, so we meet Jimmy Johnson, Wendy and Holly, somehow the key master meeting the gatekeeper of crazy. And then Jane. I forgot yeah. that Jane has a big highlight here at the start. Well, this is a great sort of microcosm about Jane. Because, Jay, you bring up a great point in that I think so far in Survivor history, you know, since the Sprint Fan Favorite Award has been retired, I think Jane has is apparently the biggest discrepancy between edit and real-life island persona in that even from the beginning here, Jane's getting the fan favorite out of like, she is not that housewife that toodles around the house. She brings in her sob story with her husband tragically dying, you know, last year. And she starts a fire despite not getting the flint and getting the medallion of power. So like, this is a big episode for her and it's going to be a big season for her. Though apparently if you were living with her, she was far from this like plucky, fun, older woman that she's made out to be. How dare you say the Nicaragua edit is not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just so jane has a big moment here she lights the fire just using her glasses the old bb and gretchen tactic and she's like the hero and she's like the mvp of the tribe for the first day and i guess that probably will last i don't know <laughs> ask the editors what the story is going to go i don't know how it's going to go let's go over to lafleur oh my god <laughs> <laughs> okay this is the fabio's greatest hits reel <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this stuff. Fabio has so much airtime and so many character moments the first two episodes. Uh, uh, what are your favorite Fabio moments here at the start? Definitely when he gets, I don't, was it like a stick that gets stuck in his foot? Fabio ends up with a lot of foreign objects clinging onto his feet in the first like five minutes here. But there's a great sequence of Chase telling Fabio like, oh, you look like you're going to be great in the water. And then Fabio starts, like, hopping on his foot because he got some sort of detritus stuck in it. And Chase just says, or not. Uh, and then <laughs> and then Benry, I'm so excited to talk about Benry because he might be one of the most enigmatic Survivor contestants in this era, decides to, like, give him a high five for whatever reason. Benry might be a robot, to be quite that, honest. Like, dude bro robot. That's Benry's trademark. If you watch the scenes, he's always high-fiving everybody <laughs> at the start of each scene. That's his, that's his shtick. <laughs> also, as you point out, Benry has the best nickname ever. Ben Henry <laughs> equals Benry. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so Fabio gets introduced, and like Mike said, he gets a splinter or piece of driftwood in his foot, which makes Chase immediately question if Fabio will actually be good in the water. And then it's followed up by Shannon calling Fabio a dumb blonde. I've never called a guy that before, but that's what he is. He's stupid. He says, he looks like Fabio. Dude, he's just retarded. <laughs> so, so Fabio does not get the typical winner's edit here at the start. It's like when Stephanie uses the R word, whatever, how many years ago, and you're like, ooh, yikes. That It was already kind of getting it. Like, even back then, it was like, ooh, not good. And then how many years later, and Shannon has no, uh, yeah. A lot of issues here with Shannon. And luckily, don't worry, he follows that up with a great quote of, it's important we don't let the girls take over. I mean, we're already ruled in marriage. Pretty soon right. we'll have a woman president. A guy needs right. to sack up and we've got to win this one. <laughs> Said Such by a guy a... named Shannon. 
but I do like uh, Fabio's incredulity to his nickname. When he say like Fabio, like Fabio rides a white horse and does butter commercials, and it's kind of a cheese ball. Well, I got to bring that up because the name, the reason they call him Fabio is because he's stupid and he's an airhead. But that was not Fabio's reputation in real life. So I've always taken offense at the reason they chose Fabio. That's that's an incorrect usage of the name. Fabio was the hunky guy on all the romance novels. So yes, I'm just but, pointing but that there's... out. It's not an act. I'm, I'm, far be it for me to say Shannon does not know historical accuracy on things. Yeah, but but there's there's a there's a a, a stigma that goes with that Mario. Like you can't you can't sit here and say, oh Fabio, you know they're using the name kind of wrong because he's the guy that's on the romance novels. It's like, what do people think of the hunky, long haired, blonde man on the romance well, novels? Yeah, do they, I agree with doing, that. Like, you think he's doing quantum physics? <laughs> I agree with that, but Fabio is like strapping and muscular and huge, and that is not Fabio mm-hmm. in the game. So yeah, I would like, say F- Fabio is more of like a Zoolander, but I think they've already yeah. uh, used the nickname for Crazy Dave back in Survivor China, so it was taken. Okay, so there you go. Point. Thank you, Mike, for pointing out the defending the honor of Shannon. Yeah, well, I think well, I think also like he sort of has the Fabio look in that he has the longer. I'm trying to remember was he a male model at the time as well? So maybe yeah. they were doing that. But I think I mean I guess the legacy of Shannon, despite all the really shitty things he said, is he is the one that does coin the nickname of Fabio to the point where he's going to interrupt Jeff later on in the challenge to say, "Please call him Fabio now." <laughs> And in perhaps the least surprising news ever, didn't Shannon come to the show through Russell? Weren't they like friends in real life? Yeah, I mean, he is from Louisiana, so I do think that it was sort of like through that, the Boo Burness, Russell, James Clement train. <laughs> yes, there is a, a type of character that comes through that uh, category very well. Yeah, so Shannon will not last long in this game, but he does coin Fabio. And we get the wonderful quote here, or no, the moment first, first Fabio cuts down the palm frond and it falls right onto his head, which is a great moment. And then we have one of the most blatant Franken quotes I have ever heard on Survivor. You know which one I'm talking about? Fabio's winner quote here? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. So Fabio says, dude, I don't care what they call me. I'm going to win the million dollars, which is his winner quote. But if you listen to it, it's spliced so badly. It's like, dude, I don't care what they call me. I'm going to win the million dollars. Like it's spliced together from like three different confessionals. And the editors are so bad at that this season. It's so sloppy with some of their Franken quotes. They should have. They should have just then also just put in like no one knows who Eve is. Just put in like her voice and saying, "And winners wear gold." Yeah, they should. They should have just shown that on all the previously ons to like. Not only does it hammer home how great the medallion of power is, but it really shows that Eve is the mastermind running things. But yeah, that's one thing I really want people to pay attention to in this episode. Listen to that Fabio winners quote and realize he did not say that at that moment. That is absolutely edited to appear that way. It's really blatant. I guess we should also talk about uh, Kelly B as well, because this is when she decides to come clean. She was she sort of did the Brandon Hance route where she's like, I'm going to hide this at first because I don't want people to, you know, make a first judgment on me. And then she almost immediately reveals it. And I remember this is actually a pretty big deal at the time because not since Chad had we had an amputee on Survivor. And she is, I think, the last person to do so. I would argue maybe because of certain castaways' reactions to her. <laughs> well, it's I, I, there were so many Chad flashbacks through this whole thing. Obviously, people react much differently to her than they did to Chad, but I just couldn't stop by thinking, okay, after an all-star season, got to get an amputee. It's the only way we're going to bounce back here, guys. 
<laughs> yeah, that really is like the pattern for some reason. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> wow, Paul has a leg up on all of us. Good job, Paul. But I'm bumped. Yeah. But okay, so yeah, so Kelly B has her reveal and she pulls out her prosthetic leg and Fabio immediately asks, "Wow, I've always wondered how do you move that thing?" Yeah, d- like yeah, how do you tell it to move? I <laughs> how think do you it's tell it to has... move is it is it sentient? <laughs> Yes. And I think also, guess what happens after Kelly B reveals her legs? High fives all around. High fives from Benry. Although I should point out again, this is so much different than Chad because Chad pulls off his, you know, pulls off his pant leg and shows his prosthetic leg. And they're like, wow, you're awesome. You're so inspirational. Kelly B does it here. And I swear like 80% of her tribe is instantly, oh, she's too big of a threat now. Fuck her. Vote her out of here. So does that say something about the way Survivor has gone, though? Because I think there's been a lot of discourse, especially nowadays, about, like, how cutthroat or, like, game-hungry people that play the game are. Does that just show a change in the times that it was less so about, like, okay, we're out there playing together, oh, it's cool that you do this, versus, like, okay, it's Survivor 21, I know who a threat is when I see it, I'm hyper-focused on that, so I don't care, Mm -hmm. you know, how how inspiring you all are, you're a charity case. Maybe somewhat, I think it also might be the maturity of this young, there's no one over 30, and it's just kind of, I don't know, I feel like it might be a little bit of both. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just they're young. They're, you know, very uh, self-centered, probably. They're very individualistic. And so it's very much whose competition, whose competition is not really a life story. But, yeah, it's you have to defend, I mean, Nayanka a little because everyone says, oh, Nayanka was didn't like Kelly, that Kelly had a prosthetic leg. But if you watch this episode, it's like everybody's like that. They're all like, oh, we can't let her get to the final. She has to go. So it's like immediately everybody turns against Kelly. And it's like she never indeed fits in at any point after this. First, you have Alina saying, I think she has a hip problem. Then they find the idol together. And she says, I'm really mad I found it with her because she doesn't have a leg. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> God. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've. If if you had said, "Hey, a Survivor season starts by somebody being ostracized because they had a fake leg," like I don't know how you respond to that. You can't. You you literally can't. Like it's it's just it's so crazy. And like you know, Kelly B. You know, if you like do any research into her life, you realize like she's just like you know an awesome human being. And it's like, all right, well, let's just throw you on Survivor Nicaragua with a bunch of under thirties. <laughs> Speaking of the idol clues, something else that I really remembered was the show was really pumping up this idea of brand new idol clues. And they literally coined it the Russell factor. They said, nobody's going to be reaching into tree trunks looking for idols. We're going to create really hard clues to determine how you find that idol. And indeed, we sort of get our first little glimpse here, as Paul mentioned, Alina and Kelly B find theirs. And it's a it's a rebus puzzle of those symbols to figure out where it is. But yeah, again, it, it's even crazy comparing nowadays to previous in Survivor, where the producers are saying like, yeah, like, we don't want people to find idols immediately. No, we want to make them work for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, how I long is that, that going to last? Yeah, I love that one of the clues involves the word yard arm. Like, <laughs> yard that seems, arm. <laughs> that seems rather complicated for a survivor clue. Okay, so yeah, what do we have here? We have Chase and Shannon teaming up on LaFleur, the young, strong guys, because we can't have a woman win. Chase will immediately be caught in the middle because he's got puppy eyes for Brenda. And this will be a running thing throughout the season. And I know Mike wants to talk about this because we talked about this before we started recording. Chase has one of the weirdest edits this season. Yeah, I mean, the one of the reasons, like, I think 
the biggest microcosm I can think of as to why Nicaragua is such a strange season from an edit perspective, just look at this first episode. The, Fabio is painted as a, like an accident-prone Gilligan type, and Chase is literally called clueless by another one of his players. And these are the two that not only finish in the top two positions, but within one vote of each other. That's all you need to see as to just, you're going to end up in the finale asking, how the hell did we get here if these two are the ones that are really the most in the hunt to win the million dollar prize? Yeah, it's it's crazy as you watch the season goes along. And I can speak to this because I literally just wrote two funny 115 entries about this, about the storylines in the season. So I've been diving through all the narratives and trying to figure out where they go and what the hell the editors are doing with this season. Chase is the one of the weirdest edits I have ever seen in Survivor history because he's probably the best player this season. He's pretty well liked. He probably is in power the most. He only loses by one vote. People forget that. He almost wins the season. But boy, do the editors shit on him all through the middle of the season, like in the previously ons, where Probst is like just going out of his way to say what a terrible player and terrible person Chase is. Because they know Chase probably should have won that final vote, and they don't want the audience to revolt at the end. So they try to bury him as hard as they can all through the season to distract the fact that he only loses by one vote. So do you think that's a response immediately to the previous two seasons where the internet was rabid about who should have won instead of the winner? Yeah, 100%. They're getting really gun-shy around this point where the audience can't be mad if the wrong person wins, so we must sell the winner as being the only acceptable winner. So they really hamstring Chase all season long. It's, it's really blatant when you start looking for it. All right, so let's see what else here. So, uh, yeah, so these are all the dynamics. You have basically Shannon's alliance of guys on one side. You have Brenda's alliance of, uh, it's not really the girls, but her alliance on the other side. Chase is in the middle, and Chase will be that way for a while, at least until the first LaFleur Tribal Council. But he will kind of ping-pong between the alliances because he's kind of wishy-washy, and that will become his entire story. And I believe this is also where we hear Nayanka's first utterance of, if Kelly legs, if Kelly B's leg flies off, she's out of here. I don't. What is she imagining? <laughs> I, how I, do they think there's Velcro on that leg or something? Because Nayanka will mention at least five or six different times during the season that she's worried Kelly's leg will just randomly fly off at certain points. Is this where she says, "Girl, let's race"? I have that. Quote yeah, yeah. Down she's here. like, "Oh, if, yeah. If you want, if you're gonna run, like, girl, let's race." I mean, granted. It's weird to think about that this is going to be, like, the most tame she is going to speak about the leg for the next little while. Maybe she's imagining there's going to be, like, a field goal kicking challenge and that Kelly B's leg is just going to come <laughs> flying off from its restraints. Spoiler, Kelly's leg never does fly off during a challenge, but it would have been hilarious. I have to point that out. Okay, so so Alina and Kelly B get the first idol clue now. They don't, it's not really mentioned where they find the idol clue, right? Just all of a sudden, they just have an idol clue? They went to the well, and it was literally just sitting there. So again, they, they want them to find idols, but a little slower. You know, more of a trickle than a downpour. Yes. And like you pointed out, Alina's reaction is, Shit, Kelly B was here too, I hate her. <laughs> so, anyway, we're going to have a hard time finding heroes in this season. Let's just leave it at that. Well, I don't know. I mean, we're going to get a hero right here when Jimmy Johnson gives his patent speech to Espada. 
Oh yeah, Paul. Does this speech move you when Jimmy Johnson gets to speak to people? Um, yeah, I cry every time. <laughs> I get really choked up at it. It was like that time in Super Bowl '85 when the mm. the the Cowboys beat the Dragons. Remember? Classic. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we go to Espada, and it's time for the first immunity challenge, the old people against the young people, and Jimmy Johnson sits and gives a big pep talk, and it's this big moment, and the music stirs, and Tyrone claps. He's like, I just got a pep talk from Jimmy Johnson! And I mean, it really cannot be stated enough how big of a deal it was to have this guy on here, and I think, I agree with you, Mario, I think he is far and away the most famous person they have ever had on the show. Like, no this doubt. is a this is a no Super doubt. Bowl winning coach. At the time, I think he was regarded as like one of the biggest NFL celebrities. He was on Fox at the time as a talking head as well. So like his face was still kept in the media. So I mean, it, this isn't a Danny Gary Hogaboom situation where like you really had to know sports to recognize him. Everyone I, yeah. recognized him. I mean, even well, when we make jokes about me. I knew. Ex- I mean, when you said Jimmy Johnson, I knew exactly who it was in could picture him and knew and knew who he was from TV. Right. And, and and that's the other thing is that is that Jimmy Johnson, you know, he he's in the he's in the college football hall of fame. He just got inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh and not only, you know, for his his coaching exploits, but you know, he's been on the 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 pregame show on Fox for, you know, decade yeah. plus now. You know, he is a big thing. And it's like we have had since then I mean, you know, Gary Hogaboom did play in the NFL, mainly a backup quarterback, right? But we've had bigger athletes you know later on in seasons right like john jeff rocker kent. yeah jeff kent right like jeff kent was a perennial all-star for you know was the was was the was the was the robin to barry bonds yeah. batman for a long time john rocker had an entire show inspired about him basically john yeah john rocker like you know he was a he was one of the top closers in baseball for a, a couple of years there right but it's like john rocker is not going to make the hall of fame you know what i mean like even though he was he's a he's a high profile athlete and and was an all-star and whatnot, uh, you know, that's how it goes, right? And and Cliff Robinson, you know, was 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 a longtime great, you know, player in the NBA. But, you know, if you're just talking about like pure, you know, name power and star power and not just all of that, but just a, a, a person that people have seen forever, it's Jimmy Johnson because people knew him as a coach in, in, at, at Oklahoma and then Miami. And then people knew him as the coach of the Cowboys. I mean, he was you know, part of the coach and the whole America's team years and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, you know, he was so huge. And then here he is on survivor being old and giving a pep talk mm-hmm. with yeah, perfect hair. Yeah. I want to f- follow up with Jay just said that when you said America's team, a lot of our listeners won't know what that means. Back in the nineties, the Dallas Cowboys were the most popular team in football. So the most popular team in the most popular sport in America, Jimmy Johnson was their coach. So he was more or less the face of the NFL, the face of the most popular sport in America. And he was on, you know, every interview. He's very charismatic. Everyone loved him. He had no scandal like John Rocker. He was just this really cool, positive, older guy. So that's why it was a big deal. This is 20 years later, but he's still America's coach, basically. So, yeah, yeah. And you can see it in this speech. I actually really like the speech that he gives where he says – you know, I'm not going to admit no one's going to vote for me to win a million dollars. Obviously, I don't need it, but I can help one of you win a million dollars, which I thought was a really good quote on or a really good speech, honestly. I mean, listen, it's going to work for some people, maybe not others. But yeah, I mean, it's understandable. Some people might complain like, well, the narrative of the first few episodes, it's all Jimmy Johnson focused. 
but it's also Jimmy Johnson, right? Like, there's a lot of talk about star power, even when the Gary stuff happened, or actually to this to an extent the Stephanie stuff, and those were the conversations that were going around when you're playing alongside a legitimate celebrity. I think even the the most sort of like uh, even the most like sobering personalities would have a little bit of pause to it. So. It was the talk of the time, and he also set himself out as the leader. They're calling him coach, which, Mario, I don't know how you felt about that. Two-timers. They're ungrateful to the real coach. Oh, <laughs> oh But uh, uh, what I was going to say is that uh, uh, I'm out. You know, Jimmy Johnson was so popular, and he was such a big get for the show. And you obviously knew he probably wasn't going to get very far because he's old and out of shape and doesn't need the money. I'm honestly surprised they did not invent Jimmy Johnson Island for this season. I'm surprised it took the next season for Boston Robin Russell to get the island just for them. They should have they should have tried it out, much like season 38 did for season 40. I'm like, here we're gonna try out Redemption Island for this season, just so it'll benefit both Jimmy Johnson and Russell and Rob. Yeah. Okay, so Jimmy Johnson gives his pep talk. It's a big moment, and now we go to the first immunity challenge where uh, it's the young people against the old people for the first time. And what's this? The, uh, it's the water flow challenge. You have to uh, have water streams go down these little tubes. But this is also the birth of the LaFleur entrance dance. Yes, which I think if you want a microcosm of the audience's reaction to Survivor Nicaragua, have them walk in with the woo, ha, ah, and then having Jeff just react, K. That's how, that's how Survivor fans react to Nicaragua in general. Is like, what was that? All right, I'm gonna swallow that and move on. It just is, and it's just like as someone who uh, you know teaches high school, and a lot of these people, not too far removed from high school, is one of the most like high school things I've ever seen on the show. <laughs> it's solidarity. What's wrong with it? Come on, it's fun. Yeah, but I like how Jeff uh, then throws shade at it, saying like, "Oh, a spotted. They came in serenading you, or maybe it was kind of a war cry." Like he can't exactly tell what the tone of it was. Is it pep rally or is it like, uh, like Braveheart? I do love that they do this little dance, La Flor, and you can see not everybody on the tribe is participating in it. If you watch, mm-hmm. Shannon wants nothing to do with it, Chase wants nothing to do with it, but Fabio is all in. Fabio's out right there with the girls doing it. So that speaks a little of the social game right there. So there you go. Fabio is part of the team. But yeah, I, the one thing I'll remember about this challenge is yet again, another like small look as to how Nicaragua is going to go. Where I remember when they used to do videos where the dream team would walk through the challenge uh, that John Kierhofer would make for the CBS website. And I remember for this one, because the challenge is essentially like you have to get water from the top of the tower down to the bottom of the tower. And I remember they had these gutters and Kierhofer made it in a way where the way you're supposed to do it is bank the gutters so that they're diagonally facing each other so that it would sort of like zigzag back and forth. But both tribes broke the challenge Yule style by just creating one long ass gutter from the top all the way to the bottom. (laughs) So from the beginning, these people are just like breaking the game of Survivor and making the producers sort of rip their hair out as the thing's not going the way they want to. Wait, they didn't expect that people would just put all the gutters together? No, I think they, I don't know if what they were expecting. Maybe if they had seen people do it that way before, they, they would have done it that way. But I remember specifically, like, the diagrams had those gutters going diagonally across from each other instead yes. of just creating I, one long water slide. I can confirm that. <laughs> 
Well, you're not going to outwit people like Purple Kelly. She's going to outsmart you every time. Okay, wait. Is it is it Purple Kelly or is it Kelly Purple? Have been have we been Mandelaing effect this entire time? Because they they really interchange between the two in this. They go back and forth. In yeah. uh, one of the things I always teach about in German, there's this dish in Germany. It's called either Toast Hawaii or Hawaii Toast. It's kind of like a grilled cheese sandwich, but has um, ham and pineapple in it, and it can go either way. So I've always kind of you know, thought about Purple Kelly, Kelly Purple, as the Hawaii Toast of uh, Survivor Nicaragua. Yeah. <laughs> Purple Kelly is a German sandwich, yes. But yeah, they do, they do literally, right here, when Probst asked them to give their new nicknames, and, and Shannon says, oh, he's not Judson, he's Fabio now. And then they, he's, what are you, Kellys? And one, one person says Purple Kelly, and one person says Kelly Purple. So right from the start, it's not clear. Because I, like, I can I can see how they would say that because if they're like Kelly Bruno Kelly Purple right like well I was gonna say I I, I personally like Kelly Purple because now it implies that we have changed this poor woman's last name to Purple. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think ultimately it doesn't it doesn't matter right like we're 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 picking nits at this point because you're like is it Purple Kelly or is it Kelly Purple it's like. I think they were saying multiple things on the island and you know I think that probably it originally started as Kelly Purple. You know, and then maybe people then said Purple Kelly or blah, blah, blah. But it's like Purple Kelly becomes it's not just who she is. Like, it's now a concept in the in 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 the survivor lexicon. Right. Like yes. like purple blank is like a thing. Right. And it's like it could be blank purple for all we know. But again, it's it's the whole it's like we talked about, like Survivor. The original season of Survivor was just Survivor. Right. And then people were like, it's Survivor uh, Palua Tiga. Right. But now it's Survivor Borneo. And now we know it is Survivor Borneo. It's like things can kind of get retconned or, or moved around. I mean, that's just the nature of language, right? <laughs> yes, to quote, quote the great Wayne Campbell, if you label me, you negate me. So that's what happens to Purple Kelly. She's a German sandwich. Benry kind of reminds me of Wayne, Wayne Campbell. <laughs> well, I was going to say Kierkegaard or Dick Van Patten, but I didn't think people would get that joke. So Wayne Campbell. Oh, excellent. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, they have to line up their little gutters and I guess I forgot to mention that the old people have the medallion of power now that they eventually, the young people gave it to them for fishing gear. The old people do not use the medallion of power, which would have given them a, an advantage in the challenge. Uh, much to their folly, they lose. Turns out the young men have a much stronger stream than the older men, as usual. Yeah, and Jeff the young loves people talking. He talks a lot about great flow in this, which we know at the time Jeff was really seeking greener pastures. So maybe before the talk show route, he was going for like the spokes model route, which Jimmy Johnson will actually beat him to the punch later on. I wonder what the advantage was. Maybe the advantage was they took, they go, you know, you don't have to zigzag it. You can just do it in a <laughs> yeah. lot. We're going we're gonna to give you a hint as to how to break this challenge. <laughs> and then they do it anyway. And I, they'd be so pissed if that was the advantage. <laughs> <laughs> the the one thing I also wanted to point out as well, it's again it's a small change in production, but it's a meaningful one because the the final puzzle for this is like the design on their buff. This is the first season to have the names of the tribes on the buffs, and again it's like a super small change, but it's one of these things that I think we take for granted nowadays. We think like, oh yeah, the, the tribe names were always printed on the buffs. No, only starting in season twenty one for whatever reason they decided like, yeah, let's put the tribe name on there as well, so they're easy to remember. All right. Good little trivia fact that I actually didn't know that. That's good to know. So, the, OK, so Espada, where LaFleur wins, the young people win. Although I don't know if you guys missed the uh, scariest part of the challenge when they're doing the puzzle. Kelly B's leg flies off. <laughs> oh, finally. That's terrible. It's during the puzzle. 
Good thing she wasn't at the top of the tower. I'm assuming the leg would have gotten caught up in all that. <laughs> the leg goes down the gutter, zigzags. <laughs> so, so, so Espada is going to the first tribal council. And this is where we get the first instance of Jimmy Tarantino, Jimmy T, being an enormous pain in the ass. Uh, I, uh, we were talking about this in our, in our group chat before, and I think Jay put it super well. Of Jimmy T is like the most irrelevant, relevant character. And I do feel like when we talk about in Survivor history, like the biggest pre-merge characters, Jimmy T, in my opinion, unfairly gets swept under the rug because he is such a huge presence in the first four episodes. And to your point, Mario, we get it here where he has the weirdest vocabulary where first he says he's junked from the trauma of the challenge. Uh, and then he also, he doesn't like Jimmy Johnson because he doesn't like his speech. And he says that he's think he thinks that Jimmy Johnson is going to hornswoggle everybody. So I don't know if Jimmy Tarantino is a pirate or he thinks that Jimmy Johnson is a pirate, but I think that's the only time I've ever heard somebody use the term hornswoggle. I think the, I think the thing that makes Jimmy T so weird, and I know I'm jumping the gun here with, with, episodes and whatnot but hey spoiler alert blah 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 blah. like jimmy t from the outset of his time is sort of like anti jimmy johnson right which is like the weird thing to do because you know it's jimmy johnson right so like this is a big theme and big point in in us watching survivor nicaragua is this whole thing with jimmy johnson and here you have jimmy t going oh that jimmy johnson he's stealing my thunder <laughs> I, I need to get him out of there and the thing is, is that when you know it's not just him, but like, he's always, you know, he's on board to get rid of Jimmy Johnson. And then, you know, it's this whole, like, they got Jimmy Johnson out of the game. Jimmy T was the guy with the personal vendetta to get Jimmy Johnson out of the game. And then he goes next and you're like, Oh, Oh, what a story. Yeah, I just love how it's like, you have to keep track of who Marty is, which Jimmy is Marty more annoyed yeah. at through these four episodes. <laughs> yeah. So that's always a fun thing to track. Should we talk about the casting story of Jimmy T? Cause he's oh, kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, this is this is fresh because I actually just talked about this for another podcast. Because speaking of things that were tried new for this season, Sears held a casting contest where basically you submitted like a thirty to sixty second video of yourself, and then you were submitted for basically like a popular vote, and the winner got to audition for a spot on Survivor. And they did this for seasons twenty one and twenty three. And the winner of the Sears casting contest, who evidently earned a spot on the show, is none other than Jimmy T himself. Wow, so he sailed his pirate ship all the way down to Sears? I don't know. I feel like Jimmy T is less... The more I realize it, the more I realize I think he's just a really big Jimmy Buffett fan. Maybe it's the Jimmy <laughs> thing. I don't know if he's threatened by Jimmy Buffett, but he does kind of <laughs> dress up like a parrot head. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to go on Survivor. I'd like to win some doubloons. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, well, get my hands on that booty. Maybe Jimmy T applied for Pirate Master initially, and he didn't get on much like Russell, and so they decided to like keep him in until this Sears casting contest. <laughs> yeah, so back at Espada, Jimmy T says, I'm not going to not be heard here, which we will hear endless variants of for the next three episodes. <laughs> he just he has to be heard, even though what he says makes no difference to anything. He just needs to be heard, be heard, and he needs to contribute. So he just Look, says his little piece. Everyone needs their feelings validated. Don't 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 try to you know invalidate his feelings. He's a person, Mario. Yeah, pirates have feelings too. It's maritime psychology. I know. You 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 need you need to respect the the feelings that he's having, me hearties. <laughs> Arr. 
Okay, so, uh, and this is where we get, much like Chase earlier in the episode was caught in the middle between Brenda and Shannon, now we have Holly, the craziest one, caught in the middle between her friend Wendy Joe and everybody else on the face of the earth. And so <laughs> Holly's in a dilemma. So do you have any Montana insights here? What's going through Wendy's mind here, Paul? Well, you know, I'm doing a little bit of research for the show. I want to dig a little bit deeper into Wendy and, you know, find out, is she really just that weird or is that how she came across on the show? Um, when you find her Facebook page, which is public, which after I say this, probably people will go to her page. It will no longer be public, so be kind. Um, <laughs> she has in her home a set of about like 10 kind of Barbies or I don't know if they're actually Barbies, but there's what? dolls that she decorates for every month. And so like, it'll be like happy November and they're dressed up like Thanksgiving characters or happy July. And they're all patriotic and she changes them out and they're like in her kitchen and they get changed every month. Um, and so that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg about some of the um, fun hobbies she has. So based on that, I think this probably is, just the edit. I don't think she's that weird. Wait, do you think maybe is that why she was really on the outs? Is because she hasn't been talking with people. She's been too busy setting up these life-size figurines to show up in camp to remind them of what month it is. Maybe. She also goes like all out for Halloween costumes. She had some crazy nuts Halloween costumes. So definitely a crafty, quirky woman. And, you know, I think all that experience Holly had with those swimmers, I think she identified what kind of swimmer um, Wendy was and realized that, you know, there's no use saving that swimmer. Let her drown. <laughs> and Wendy Joe was first out. The hell you say. <laughs> so so that, that's, that's my analysis of these two small towns, South Dakota, Montana women. Does Wendy Joe have a suggestive picture next to a horse? <laughs> um, well, I don't know if she's suggestive, but I, I'm sure you can find one of the, the figurines, the dolls. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, don't want to know what, what she brings up during February. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't want to say su suggestive, but, you know, Wendy Joe's from Montana. My guess is there's a horse in the background somewhere. Right. I mean, it, there's just always is. Yeah, there's just there's just horses running around. You know, it's Montana. Yeah. Is there a picture of Barbie suggestive next to a horse? Barbie horse. That would be even better. If she I'm Barbie sure. The thing is, the I'm just thing. you guys. I'm just like desensitized to these things. I don't notice them. I'm, I just assume that that is what's happening. Listen, Paul's not going to judge Wendy Joe's collection of seasonal sex dolls, okay? That's just what you do in Montana. But actually, I mean, just Wendy in general, and um, you know, as we move to her imminent death here in uh, a matter of minutes, I, I actually think, like, wa like watching some of the pregame stuff and um, reading some of the postgame stuff, like, I actually kind of changed my opinion on her a little bit. Like, she's definitely totally wacky and a weirdo. But I think she's actually more self-aware than I thought. Like, I think sometimes I had her in my head of that she's this kind of crazy person that doesn't know she's crazy. I think she's aware of it. I think she's aware of yeah. kind of what a weirdo she is and is actually has a better read on. Like, I think she realized how on the outside she was. And that's why she overcorrects so much at tribal council and tries to save herself. So she obviously is aware of her social standing. So I don't think she's as clueless as, you know, his, the history books may may tend to suggest. Oh, yeah. No, I've always thought she's very uh, accurate in her – like, she's she's not putting on an act. That's what she really is. Holly's right. the one I think is a lot more nuts. Holly doesn't realize some of the stuff she does. Well, I think Wendy Joe knows she's weird, and that's just the card that life dealt her, and she – I have no problem with Wendy. I think she's a fun character. As we get into Tribal Council here, something I really noticed, especially in these first four episodes, is – 
you know, Jeff Probst really became executive producer a few seasons ago. But this feels like, I think, the big transition point into the Jeff Probst that we see now. Uh, in that I feel like Jeff approaches Tribal Council in a distinctly different way than he has in the previous seasons. And honestly, it might come from this first Tribal Council where, when remarking about how she made the fire, Jane said, I read an article that you wrote a few months ago about how, like, nobody should go out here and know, not know how to make fire. And Jeff so earnestly says, you listened to something I said? And I think maybe in that moment, Jeff Probst realized, like, oh, wait, you know, I could, I, I, I have some influence over these people in a manner of speaking. If I'm speaking on behalf of the show, I can beat the drum of certain values and things to do, and people thereafter will play that way. He realized he was a god in that moment. Okay, so what else happened to Tribal Council? Yeah, Jane goes on about how awesome she is and made fire. Jimmy T is mad because the most famous player in Survivor history is cock-blocking him and stealing all his airtime. Uh, Wendy admits that she doesn't fit in here because no one talks to her, and nobody has asked her her age, which for some reason really <laughs> bothers her. The best part about this, and this is something with my, uh, my sister-in-law that one time she sent this uh, as a video to our group chat, and so it's something we talk about all the time, is when finally she says how old she is, that she's 48, and Tyrone just goes, you look so young. And then he just gives so much side eye afterwards, like, uh-huh, just like, yeah. So sarcastic. So... Yeah, Ty Tyrone is like one of those underrated stars of these first few episodes of like someone who has fantastic reactions, but again, is one of these sort of like nothing burger characters. But yeah, like you mentioned, Paul, this is where Wendy really autocorrects. Either that or she feels like she's just going to throw something at the wall of like, well, if I'm in trouble because I don't talk as much, let me now just let everything loose to the point where we get the rare interruption of Jeff not when he says it is time to vote, but after, as he's standing up, she says, like, oh, can I say one thing? And she lists all the qualities she can bring, including strength, leadership, friendly, very honest, very funny, very fun to be with, strong-willed, strong physically. People like to be her friend and be with her. They trust her, and she doesn't have any blisters on her feet. <laughs> That's like a Heidi speech. Look at all my awesome traits. But yeah, she she and, literally filibusters Jeff Probst here. Well, and I remember at the time the you know, the reporters that were there, the journalists that were there, said this went on for a very long time, even more than what we saw. <laughs> wow, I was joking, but it really was a filibuster. You know, if we just never get to vote, then I can't be voted out. It's amazing, the Montana loophole. So anyway, Wendy is voted out unanimously. It's not even close. Do you know the funny story about when she gets voted out? No, what happens? She gets, she gets lost on the way out. Oh, my God. She gets lost in the graveyard, and <laughs> she doesn't know where to go, and she needs help, and they have to, like, come grab her or something, because then that was one of her post-game questions. They said, I think Dalton Ross asked her, like, you know, those of us who were there, we saw you get lost on the way out of tribal council. What happened there? <laughs> Well, she's like, everything was so up. She's like, and this is again where it's like, she's a crazy person, but not that crazy because she's like, well, up until that point, everything was so well marked at tribal council with arrows where everything was supposed to go. And then they just stopped. So I didn't know where to go. There's a path in front of the, oh, I must wander around this graveyard. That oh, and, but built. and then, and then another thing that made me appreciate her is she goes, at that point, I, I just really wanted to like jump into one of the graves and disappear or something. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Do they not know how burial works in Montana, Paul? <laughs> Guess not. Yeah, they're just like a <laughs> pile of bodies, and that's how they bury people. 
So I love it. This is the moment Survivor turned into Eco Challenge. Well, on Eco Challenge, if you guys watch it, where people get stranded out on the ocean and they get to call in the helicopters to medevac them. This is our Eco Challenge moment where you get the walkie-talkie. Uh, copter one. Wendy's lost in the graveyard. Please go rescue her. No, I'm just thinking of Mont- Montana. It's just wherever you fall, that's where you will lay. <laughs> The big sky country, but that sky is littered with the bones of our ancestors. <laughs> it makes it hard for, like, car accidents, because they just leave the bones there on the street, so it makes driving tough. Yeah, just, you just have to build new highways to go around the bones. We have enough space. You just, just make put, the just highway go around out, You know, just put some cones. Go M-O-N-T-A-N-A. Montana, I love you. I knew, see, and you're going to do that. It's like the well, the, the, the the stars at night are big and bright in Texas scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I knew you were going to do that. Okay. So anyway, we lose Wendy. Let's pay homage to our fallen Montanan who sadly lasted just three days. I mean, this is what you want in a first boot. You want right. a character like this. She's like, it, it just it's funny. It's fun. She didn't take herself too seriously. Like, I mean, what more do you want in a first boot? You don't want, like, someone going that you're like, oh, my gosh, that player had so much potential. Like, I, Wendy Wendy is I, is the, like, perfect first boot. Yeah, right, exactly. She was essentially DOA. I don't think anyone was, was penciling her in for the win. And it seemed like, like you said, she was a little self-effacing even. She realized how she was coming across. So, like, there was even a, a, a cruel aspect of, like, oh, I feel bad for mocking her. So she was a very fun character to pop for one episode, specifically having everyone else react to her, which, don't worry, that torch has promptly been passed to people like Holly and Jimmy T for the next group of episodes. <laughs> and just imagine, there was a moment in history where Wendy Joe and Jimmy Johnson had a conversation with each other. Just wanted to point that out. All right, so let's go to episode two, the Shannon boot. This is a fun one. This is a one of the better episodes of the season, I would say. This one's crazy. I would say this is the best episode of the season. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> I forgot that Holly and the Shoes are in this episode, too. Yeah, this is maybe the standout Nicaragua episode. Yeah, I mean, this is... I think a lot of people tend to lump in, like, her and Lisa Welchel and a little bit of Dawn into, like, the hashtag survivor breakdown, like... Yeah, they're just really on the outs. They have an emotional, tough time the first few days, and then they rally and move forward. But Holly's is very unique in that it deals with destruction of personal property as well. <laughs> I got to tell you my Holly story. So I wrote a funny 115 entry about Holly being crazy uh, because she literally is really nuts the first two episodes of the season. It was one of the first entries I did on version three. And she actually wrote me because like 100 people forwarded her that entry. And she's like, you know, I'm a successful motivational speaker now. I mold young minds. I'm in, I'm in charge of their, like, personal growth and maturity. And I'm like, yikes. <laughs> so it was, it was an awkward conversation. <laughs> Hopefully, well, I'm glad she moved her skills from uh, the melting pot that is swimming in, North, in South Dakota to the nation at large. <laughs> yeah, she's like a big motivational speaker now. Okay, so episode two starts with Holly's breakdown starts basically because she had to vote against her friend Wendy Joe last night, and it, it's eating her up. And uh, she's really going to spiral downwards throughout the course of this episode. But I think if we start, uh, we first we have to go to LaFleur because we have to have the Minority Alliance start up. Paul, you know what a minority is? Um, I do. Not Not that I grew up knowing that much about it, but... Um, I think like this. I remember going watching the 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 Jeff's uh, assessment of the cast before 
the season aired, and he was like alluding to this. He said something about, you know, Sash has this agenda, and if he can just get over his agenda and actually play, like, he was like, Jeff was really kind of like, didn't say what this agenda was that Sash was coming in with, which I think in the course of this, again, I think the season a little before its time in terms of uh, what was happening in society, um, I think that's what Jeff was kind of like, oh, he just needs to give up on that and just actually needs to play the game himself and not worry about, you know, some other agenda. But it's very clear. Um, again, this is just like another, like, like random thing that gets thrown into this whole season that never really comes to anything, you know, it's like, Oh, there's going to be this minority Alliance because there are not that many, you know, people of color on the show. So these are three people of color who would be great people. I mean, and then that, that just kind of, I I think that's always present in the season, but doesn't really become a main Mm -hmm. storyline. So again, let's throw another, you know, random Nicaragua storyline in here. Well then, let's let's even go back to the point that I made before about hey, our first place you know finisher in the epi- in the premiere gets a big goofy edit. Our second place finisher is called Clueless. Our third place finisher not in the episode whatsoever. So this is really like a big welcoming party, or I guess in one unfortunate case, I think some might say a coming out party, <laughs> if for lack of a better term, for Sash in this episode, who is really going to become like I think one of the big strategic forces of the latter part of the season. And I guess it starts here, but like you said, Paul, it's a really weird, wonky road where, like you said, Satch is going to make very tight bonds with Nayanka and Brenda here, where I believe he votes Brenda out and Nayanka ends up quitting on him. Okay, yeah, for people who haven't seen this episode in a while, this is where Sash comes up to Nayanka and says he would like an alliance with all the minorities because he's half black, she's black, he wants Brenda. So that's... We're 10 years ahead of our time here, by the way, that all alliances must be 50% people of color. So there you go. <laughs> but that's the alliance. And, and Brenda kind of laughs later when she hears about it. She's like, really? That's <laughs> Sash is a minority? Okay. But anyway, that's where we go. And then, although it's followed up immediately by that inspirational scene where Nayanka follows up by saying, once again, if Kelly B's leg falls off, she's out of here. <laughs> so <laughs> nice transition. Yeah, for some reason, like, the topic comes back for some reason to be like, okay, we're in this alliance, great. By the way, doesn't Kelly B suck? And then they (laughs) decide to end the sequence on Nayanka calling Kelly B a charity case. (laughs) Okay, we got got to talk about this just a little. Nayanka's reputation among the audience. There could not have been a more hated player among the audience on all the message boards and stuff. I don't remember one person thinking she was funny. Although over the years, as it's passed and more people have watched this season over and over, I think Nayanka kind of grows on people because she's so over the top, you can't really take her seriously. And I, my personal opinion is she's trying to be funny. She thinks she's the funny one out there and she's just making jokes and stuff. But mm. yeah, she could not have been more hated. And this leg stuff obviously was part of it. The quitter stuff will happen. The stealing the food. But uh, it does lead to the question... Is it possible to have a villain that goes too far? See, that's the thing for me and why I think there are some interesting Nayanka sound bites for the la- for the largest part watching these first few episodes. I was not a, a fan of her. It's because she almost kind of approached or is coming across this season almost like an over-the-top wrestling villain, yeah. but almost not in the wink-wink, nudge-nudge way like a Johnny Fairplay was. Like, yes, she could have been playing it up, but I feel like all of the confrontations and the rudeness that she brought in just were not entertaining from my perspective. It's almost like when you watch a show, 
uh, that has like purposely bad characters. You know, there's a very fine line between the characters on, on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and the characters on Girls, where it's like, oh yeah, these people are behaving badly, but we, we make fun of them for it, versus these people are behaving badly and I despise them for it. Now, Yanka Kura sort of gets on the other side of that fine line, and maybe it's just because her portrayal is a little more over the top and maybe a bit more antagonistic than even someone like a coach, for instance. Do you think that that is the case because she quits? So yeah, yes. that's the thing is that's the thing as well is that a lot of people believe that you know you have the two separate ends of the spectrum right of the edit where we don't get anything from Purple Kelly and we get almost too much from Nayanka because the show really wanted to hammer home both sides of like if you quit you will either be you know not seen in this game or you will be seen as one of the biggest villains in Survivor history. Yeah, I mean, the argument is she clearly said this stuff. You can't insert sound bites into their mouth unless they're Fabio. <laughs> but Nayanka clearly said stuff. But I do agree with Jay's point that because Nayanka quit, they had to make an example out of her. And they really drove home just her nasty stuff and probably not her fun, friendly stuff. Because I know after yes. the game, a lot of the players yes. said she was actually pretty well liked. We like Nayanka. She's funny. And I think you see that when you look at like some of the dynamics in the game. Like I, I think that I think that Nyanka was probably a really cool person to be on the island with, but we don't know that because she quit and they 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 yeah. I don't know. I would say to a certain extent, like I think there are things, even like you said, Mario, outside of confessional, like what she says to Fabio or like what she says to Kelly B in that conversation that makes you think like I think with, with Nayanka, it's a thing of if she likes you, then, like, you are absolutely cool and she's a really fun person to be with. But if for whatever reason she does not like you, she is going to make your life a living hell. <laughs> yeah, but that also, the asterisk there is she votes for Fabio to win. It's crazy. And and I think one thing I was thinking about Nayanka, too, I think it's very clear that when she's, like Mario said, she thinks she's being really funny. And I think... Clearly, she was getting good reactions from the producers as this is going on, that this is what they're eating up. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's always what I felt like. It's like, oh, we love it when Nayanka makes digs at Kelly Bruno and her leg. Like, clearly, they, like, were eating that up, too. And there was some level of, you know, going back to that time and time again. Because otherwise, it's just too weird if she really was that obsessed about that. Like, I feel like I can see from the other end of – of of what kinds of questions she was being asked and what kind, what things got good reactions out of out of Nayanka from from the producers. I mean, it's interesting. For all we know, to your point, Paul, it could have just been one day of her talking heads about Kelly that they choose to intersplice over like four or five episodes to make it seem like it was a long held grudge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something you know. I, I wrote this defense of Purple Kelly about a year ago, and a lot of people wrote to me about it. They're like, wow, I had no idea Purple Kelly got crapped on that word bad, badly by the editors. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really new information. A lot of people at the time knew this. But they always follow up with, well, if the editors buried Purple Kelly, why didn't they bury Nayanka? And I'm like, because she's such a big personality. I don't think you can. If they want to take something out on Nayanka, what they do is they just make her look as bad as possible. So, again, I'm a huge Nayanka fan. I've gone on record as saying, 
She might be the greatest villain in Survivor history. She's without question, I think, the greatest female villain. I think every season needs someone like a, like a Nayanka just because they add so much drama and so much, you know, spice to the season. And there's always the argument, can villains go too far? Do you Can you have a villain you just want off your screen? And people will you know, rebut me with that. They're saying, yeah, Nayanka crosses the line. I don't, I don't like her. I don't. I don't personally think a villain can go too far. I will bring this up again in one world. I think Colton is amazing as a character. I think every scene he's in is so much better. And the season basically dies the minute he's not there anymore. But I think Nayank is in the same boat. But again, it's a fundamental fundamental argument over what you think a villain should be doing. The season dies when Colton leaves. So did he leave in the first five minutes <laughs> or preseason i would argue the first four episodes of one world are actually pretty good well i i do not back up that argument i would say the fourth episode of one world is its best one but i think outside of that it's it's really tough to find anything both before and after so let yeah, me tell after... you how we love nicaragua we're now talking about one world <laughs> this may be the only time we talk about one world we may just skip over that season all right, so we'll, we'll talk about way more about Nayanka later. Don't worry, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more sound bites to come from her. But now let's go to Holly versus Dan and the shoes, which is the major <laughs> subplot in Espada in this episode. Okay, this whole thing, this like could be its own episode. Like my, my, yeah. I, I agree, There's this episode is so, I mean, this should have been a two-hour episode or something because of all the stuff that's happening at both tribes. Like, it happens so fast. You're like, what? Like, you see this whole arc happen, and it just goes boom, 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 boom. But it's, like, so great when you think about what actually happened in this scene. Well, and the, the weird thing is, is, like, you say it's Holly versus Dan. Dan really has no part in it <laughs> whatsoever. Because the thing, so what happens is, like, Jill is sitting around eating some snails. And according to Holly, apparently she's, like, making really sour faces. Uh, and so Holly, like, is saying, like, no, that's stupid. I shouldn't eat the snails. And so everyone's, like, a little concerned about her snapping at Jill. And Dan makes this remark saying Holly is, quote, crazy as shit. Apparently, Holly specifically overheard that that gave her the drive to release her anger by filling up Dan's shoes with sand and putting them in the ocean. Well, those, those swim kids in South Dakota must have been really wild if this is what really got to her. <laughs> it's so inspirational, though. That's the thing. If you're an inspirational, motivational speaker, these these are the kind of scenes you want to show to people. And this is also going to be our introduction to Dan Lembo, who might be, like, from a physical perspective, one of the most useless players in Survivor history. But that is going to, that's an episode three thing. The episode two thing is he has $1,600 alligator shoes that Holly has taken out her anger on. <laughs> okay, for people who have not seen this in a while, yeah, she takes Dan's shoes, buries them, or fills them with sand, puts them in the water, and then the next day, Dan is mad because his shoes are missing. So Holly feels bad and immediately fesses up to him by standing aggressively over him and putting her hands on his bad knees. Oh, and he has such a great, like, wide-eyed reaction where you can't tell if it's because Holly just all of a sudden came at him or her, like you said, like, putting her hand on his very surgery-ridden knee of being like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, the screenshot of Dan wide-eyed looking up at her. One of my favorite moments of the season. And she, like, explains, you know, I took your shoes. I threw them in the ocean. I feel bad, so let's forgive me. And Dan's like, no, screw you. I ain't going to forgive you. No, I think the best part is Jimmy Jimmy T is like, all right, Holly, we accept your apology. And Dan's like, that's not your apology to accept. (laughs) She didn't bury your shoes in the ocean. Yeah, and it's got the great reaction shot from Tyrone where he's like, 
I'll keep one eye on her and one eye on my shoes. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, though? Well, no, in Jimmy T's defense, though, he was like, okay, it's Dan, Holly buried your shoes, but, you know, in, in, in traditional pirate fashion, she made a map, and yes. we can, you know... <laughs> I believe she's called for she's called parlay with this group meeting, so we have to listen to her demands. Uh, just imagine being part of a tribe. Like, look, we have had our chaotic tribes over the years, but imagine being part of a tribe where someone's like, "All right, group meeting, everybody. Uh, this is not an inspirational speech that Jimmy Johnson would give. I just want to come right out and say that yes, Dan, I did take your sixteen hundred dollars shoes and bury them at the bottom of the ocean. Please." Uh, apology accepted. I, I understand, and I hope you can accept my apology as well. Let's get to the challenge, everybody. Break. <laughs> this is after she dumped the snails, you know? Yeah. I love that that fight started with the snails. I always forget that part. Like, And that's the whole thing with this Holly scene and the dancing. It, it's it's not just the, this one moment. It's, a, it's an and then. It's like she gets upset about the snails thing, and then she dumps the snails, and then... She, you know, gets into an argument with Dan, and then she buries his shoes, oh and then God. she confronts about like it's an and then scene, which just makes it just absolutely great to the end. I mean, they are Kelly B is very lucky she was not on Espada because that leg would be sitting <laughs> at the bottom of Davy Jones' locker. <laughs> Holly buried the leg. I think that's grounds for uh, expulsion if you take someone's prosthetic leg. I t- I took your shoe and your leg with it and buried it at the bottom of the ocean. Although it does lead to the question, why bring $1,600 shoes to the beach? Because it's Dan freaking Lembo. He had no idea what he was in for here. <laughs> he's he's Lisi. He just showed up for taping the first day. <laughs> <laughs> but did, it, did he do that? Did he do that? Or did producers just say, bring the shoes? You know, well, the wonder... producers did it, of course. Yeah, because I know that we obviously, and we're going to get into this with Purple Kelly, right? Like the choice of wardrobe, a lot of, a lot of production likes to do that to really build up like who they are outside of the game. So I can imagine they're like, yeah, Dan, where are some of like your best stuff, you know, to show how you're sort of like a rich mafioso type. And listen, I would not be surprised if Dan Lembo has multiple pairs of $1,600 alligator shoes waiting at home for him. Okay. I'm glad you brought up purple Kelly. Cause I do want to drop this on people right now, just cause it's going to come up later. The wardrobe thing. Now we all know this. Most of our listeners will know this, but there will be people who don't know this. Why purple Kelly quits later how it's 100% inspired by her wardrobe. Uh, one of you want to take this, or do you want me to? I mean, you can do it. I mean, we all know it, but... Yeah, we know, okay. So, on Survivor, the producers pick what clothes you wear. They have 100% say you're dressed in a stereotype. There's the stories, Chris Doherty, they made him rip the sleeves off his shirt because they wanted him to look like a redneck. Cochran... Uh, the next season, or two seasons later, South Pacific, they made him wear a sweater vest because they wanted him to look like a nerd, even though he'd never owned one or wore one in his life. So the producers control what you wear to influence your character. And Kelly Purple, when she signed up, she was a recruit. They didn't, she didn't audition. They recruited her. They saw her somewhere, said she was cute. They wanted her to put her on the show. They're like, you know, you won't probably won't get very far because you don't know how the game works. You're going to be the hot girl. So they're like, here, we're going to give you this little skimpy sundress and a bikini, and that's it. And she's like, can I wear a coat or anything? They're like, no, that's not your character. You're just a skimpy clothing one, and that's you're not going to last very long, so don't worry. Kelly goes out there. She makes it 30-something days. She suffers in the rain and everything because she was not allowed to wear clothes, and then she quits because I can't take the weather anymore. And the producers are like, fuck you. You don't, you don't take the game seriously. We're going to embarrass you. So that was 100% on the producers, and I'm just laying this out now. 
if you talk shit about Kelly Purple, you're a bad person because she had no control over that and it was horrible what they did to her. I mean, it's a good segue into the whole sock conversation as well, because as you said, those are hot commodities when only a select amount of people are given pairs. Yeah, okay, yeah. We had the the shoe missing shoe drama on Espada, and we cut to LaFleur now, and we instantly have the missing sock drama of uh, Nayanka, which might be even better. I mean, she says, it's pretty damn funny that a damn sock grew a foot and walked away, and you have to imagine who she's staring daggers at at this point, right? With that sort of, like, imagery. <laughs> Is there someone here with an extra leg that might need an extra sock? Who do I think took my sock? <laughs> <laughs> It's so ridiculous and so funny. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Someone takes Nayanka's sock, and for some reason she does not assault Kelly Bruno over this. She goes to Fabio, her punching boy, who she hates, and she takes his sock. And so now Fabio decides he's going to confront her. And here's a tip. Do not confront Nayanka. You are not going to win. Yeah, so basically, uh, well, first off, Fabio does not, Fabio, a, like, really fun conversation where Fabio says, I can't find my other pair of socks, and Shannon just says, Nay's wearing them, dummy. Uh, like, Shannon has so, looks down so much on Fabio, which is interesting considering their, their sort of parallel, or uh, very anti-parallel paths here. But basically, Nayanka, like, Fabio approaches Nayanka being like, okay, you know, what's going on? She's like, why are you looking at me? And he says, well, I'm just looking at you. And then she says, like, no, no I can get loud, too. And he's like, I'm not doing anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Nayanka steamrolls Fabio. Fabio has no chance against her. So she basically takes his sock, and there's nothing he can do about it. So, so much for that. And I also love that Nayanka has yet to regard the Fabio nickname. Like, she will always, or for a while, refer to him just as Judd or Judson. And the, the blatant, like, disdain with which she says the name Judd is pretty fun. Oh, yeah. There's a great quote later. She's like, I don't like Alina, I don't like Kelly B, and I don't like Judd. <laughs> she stretches it out to, like, three syllables. All right, so that's the drama. Nayanka and Fabio will be fighting endlessly all the way till the end of the game when she votes for him to win in one of the greatest uh, character turns ever where she becomes a face. <laughs> okay, let's go to Holly's breakdown back on Espada where Coach Jimmy announced to talk her out of quitting because she wants to quit. Yeah, and listen, Jimmy Johnson sticks with the coach moniker. Like, hey, if you're going to be a coach, Jimmy, you have to quote... <laughs> Profits, and so Jimmy Johnson does his part and quotes Vince Lombardi here. Now, Paul, do you know who that is? Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, to be serious, this is why Holly became a motivational speaker after the season because she had this. She wants to quit. She's spiraling downwards, and Jimmy Johnson pulls her aside and says, "You need, you know, we need you here. You're going to have a comeback. It's going to be great." And she's like, "Thank you, Jimmy. I really needed that." And so she took this lesson, and that's what she does in life now. She tells people, "If you're in a down spiral." You will have a comeback, get through this. So in, in all fairness, she did turn it into a nice career. Be the Jimmy Johnson you wish to see in the world. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's go to the episode two immunity challenge slash reward challenge. I, I forgot that there's no reward challenges in the season, hardly at all. Yeah, They're all well, the, doubles. The, the interesting thing that I'm actually very happy they do in these first four episodes is after the challenges, they go back to camp with the winning tribe. 
uh, which we usually don't get. It's usually we just stick with the losing tribe until tribal council. And I'm very happy we get that because obviously there's a lot of stuff going on. Like this episode is going to be, uh, you know, the Jill and, and Marty starting to work together. Next episode is obviously the whole brouhaha with Kelly Bruno and Mayanka. So for many reasons, I'm glad that they have enough time to dedicate to both tribes after the challenge. And I guess part of the reason is this combined challenge format. And here we go, episode two immunity challenge, with it featuring a return of the ever popular LaFleur War Dance. <laughs> it only gets better. <laughs> I don't know. This one this one's a little less uh hula-y. This one's just like very more militant marching LaFleur. And it seems like everyone's participating in this one at least. I think they were able to get hyper masculine Shannon on board for this even. Yeah, for people who haven't seen it, this is the one where they march in like soldiers on the same foot. And at the end, they all look down and they put their arms in this like uh, V formation and look up and say, La Floor! And it's Very kind of cool. intimidating. It is. It's a good moment. Okay, so watch this challenge. This is the one where they have to get a bunch of balls, toss them on shields to each other, and then one person throws the last ball into a barrel. And the old people finally decide to use the medallion of power, which, if I recall... No, it, it gets used twice. This is the first time, yeah. right? But but this is also like, I don't know if they had planned this advantage beforehand, but this is a huge advantage. Because essentially, so they already, ha the, the medallion power advantage is that they already have one ball in the barrel. So they don't need to like find it. They don't need to transport it. They don't need to toss it in there. And it also means they get to sit someone out of the challenge, which in and of itself is a huge advantage too. So it was very clear that they were pushing people to use it. And I don't know if that was an adjustment from, you know, them not using it in the last challenge. They really wanted to incentivize them to be like, yeah, when you use this, you basically have won the challenge. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I totally see that. They, they're trying to save Jimmy Johnson and they don't want this to be a blowout. So whatever happens, the old people have to win this challenge. Yeah. And these, these challenges though, Nicaragua were nothing to, you know, you can use the bathroom usually when this comes on. Yeah. Well, it's tough. I think, you know, Jay brought up an interesting point earlier that, yes, we did have Samoa be used back to back, but that was, you know, an all new player season and a returning player season. This is when we start getting into having seasons back to back with similar makeup casts and where you could really start to notice like repurposed challenges and a lot of similar theming challenges. Like this, Nicaragua is really all going to be about like, wandering through the mud, getting something, and then bringing it back. And everyone just ends up covered in filth by the end of all these Nicaragua challenges. Including Dan's shoes. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Okay, so this challenge is where we see... We will see this a lot during the season. And if you, if you haven't watched the season carefully, you might not notice that Benry is this huge challenge threat for LaFleur. He is the star or the at the fo the focal point of every single challenge like throughout the season. And Tyrone is for the other season, or for the other tribe. And you see them have a little showdown here where they're the ones tossing the uh, ball off their shield into the uh, the barrel at the end. Tyrone wins this one mostly because, again, they had the medallion of power, the unbreakable, unbeatable advantage. But Tyrone wins it for Espada. And I love it that at the end of the challenge, Jimmy T even mocks the LaFleur war dance by saying, Esparta! <laughs> Isn't that how he says uh, Esparta, though? It's just his accent is coming out? It is, yeah. <laughs> this is Sparta! <laughs> so anything else to say about this challenge? I always thought this was a fun one because the old people actually win something. Yeah, no, sorry. I was on the. T I went to the toilet during this time, so sorry. I, I always found it was so clunky, though, that they had to, like, toss 
the this wasn't like when they had to bounce the ball on the drums in Survivor China. Like th these are not wooden paddles you bring to the beach. These are just straight up shields that they're supposed to use to toss a ball from one to the other. I always found that such a weird clunky element of the challenge. But hey, Espada wins. This will be like the last uh, challenge they're going to win pre-swap. So you know, relish it. And in a double indignity for the Lafleurs, at one point during the challenge when they're throwing the balls, Kelly's leg flies off <laughs> and lands in the barrel. It's terrible. Again, Every challenge. unfair advantage for her. Yeah, Jeff says, no, no, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, Benry's already high-fiving everybody. They're like, no, take the leg out. put it, And take the extra sock off it, damn it. <laughs> All right, so, so Espada wins their only challenge, their only immunity challenge. They win a tarp and fishing gear or fishing gear or something. Yeah, but they, didn't they already have fishing gear? How much fishing gear do they need? They got to fish the hell out of that river. All right, so yeah, Espada goes back and they celebrate their one and only win they will ever have this season. And Holly's doing better. And Jane and Tyrone do the butt dance, which is a nice moment. And then they get they they all find the little rebus clue, right? And they're they're go they're from the get go. They're like, all right, this is gonna we're gonna all gonna search for this together. But Marty's Marty's just already sort of like off on his own, planning what to do. Do you guys love Do you guys love this idol find as much as I do? This is like my one of my favorite idol finds of all time, Marty and Jill. It's Christmas. yeah, it's kind of like um, Jill is just like so like. <laughs> Like, maybe she should be the one coaching a swim team because she's just so chill and calm about everything. Like, it's just how she's just like, oh, I found where I was here, Marty. You go you go find it for me. You go do this here. And she's just like, nothing, like, excites her or scares her well, or frightens her. She's an ER nurse, right? So, like, I think it's just part of her job to be naturally calm no matter what the it's emotions are. So it's sim just sort of... Similar to a South Dakotan swim team. But, yes, continue. Yeah, really two sides <laughs> of the same coin there. Uh, but, yeah, so I can imagine that, like, she's definitely a more mild-mannered person uh, and why she's like very logical about like yeah i saw i saw an uh a, you know a, a co a partner in marty he's a smart man who's gonna be good to ally with and i i don't know you could sort of see it in glimpses in the next couple of episodes like maybe she sort of regrets that choice because marty is his own brand of wild child we even see it here where marty digs up the idol and says like i got the idol i got uh we we got the idol it's our idol <laughs> Yeah, that's the moment. I remember on the – see, Survivor Sucks was still pretty active at this time. This is 2010. And I remember that line got quoted so much, and people were always sending it to me. That's got to go in an entry one day where they find the idol, and Marty immediately or, – or Jill gives Marty the clue. And then they go look for the idol together, and Marty finds it. I got it. I got it, Jill. Then he quickly corrects. We. We got it, Jill. We. <laughs> That in between, like, Marty's, like, bug-eyed, you know, cock-haired stare as well. It just makes him look like a complete loon. I well, unapologetically love Marty. And, uh, you know, I, you know me. I'm, I'm one where I, I don't necessarily love to see returnees return to Survivor and stuff like that. But, like, how Marty hasn't come back is, is like, to me, that's a travesty. Because dude, dude's amazing. Well, yeah, that's the thing. You have these giant characters a year after the all-star season. So they kind of get forgotten. The Chris Doherty's, yeah. the Amy Cusack's people forget what a big deal they were. Marty was huge. He should have been in multiple seasons. Yeah. Cause not only is he, you know, you might be like, Oh, he was a game bot, but no, he had personality in ounces. We're going to get to it. You know, once Jimmy Johnson goes, Marty's going to be like the go-to react guy for the tribe. And he's going to become a huge character. 
you know, and Marty has flaws and that's what I like about him, you know, as a character, you know, where, you know, we talk about people like Sester Nino from all, all the years ago, right. Where, you know, Mario, I think pointed out in, in the, the Matthew von Erdfeldt, uh, uh, entry on the funny 115 about how like, you know, Sestronino created Matthew and then Matthew votes him out and all, you know, so the flaw is, is that Sestronino taught the game to Matthew too much, but it's like, people didn't really think that there was much, there was much wrong in Rob's game. Like Rob played a very good game. It was just, they got to the final three. He didn't win immunity. They voted him out because he was a threat. Right. And it's like, Marty, you know, is smart. He does some really good things, but also he's a little bit of a loose cannon and you can totally see why he doesn't win. Like there's all these, you know, it's not like Marty was this perfect character and it just, ah, well, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Like, you know, he runs the whole gamut, which is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. You could make a great argument that Marty is the star of the season that he's the standout character. Which is tough, though, because, again, speaking to the weirdness of this season, he's the, he could be the standout character that gets voted out in like episode nine of 14. <laughs> He's but the I think, Alex Bell. Well, yeah, but I, I think that he I think that he was someone that the producers really liked and rooted for. And I think that you were right, you know, that that season or that that stretch where it's like Marty and like Brenda and then, you know, Nyanka and Purple Kelly go. It's like, you know, once all that sort of shakes out, it's kind of like, oh, we have the chaff left and uh, this ain't great, you know. Here's one of my favorite little trivia things that one of my funny 115 readers works for Marty. So he's always, whenever I write about Marty, he will write to me and say he loves the entry. But he's like, I'm scared to show it to Marty because I'm scared of him. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, Marty's a bit of like a loose cannon. Like he's going to have some sort of reaction to it. I do not know how much good humor Marty has about himself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about Jill here for a second. Just because. Dr. I, Jill. Yeah, it's fun watching the season because you can kind of see Jill may indeed be the smartest player out there. She's forever pawning her ideas off to Marty, so Marty will take the hit for them if they go bad. But she's just not aggressive enough to ever, you know, take credit, and she ends up in a bad spot with a twist later. But one thing that I think people would find interesting is that Dr. Jill was a big celebrity on the Survivor message boards back in the day. Did you guys ever see some of her posts? Oh, yeah. She posted on Survivor Sucks, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, and she would spill all sorts of details. She knew everything about that season. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I remember that was that was a big deal at the time. It's it's hard J- for me to think of her without thinking Dr. Jill. You exactly. know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. When you said Dr. Jill, I had to bring that up. That's what mm. people know her as. Yeah, so she's this little nothing character in the season, but she's more significant to it than you think it is when you watch. She's like the brains behind Marty, but yeah, her big thing was she was really active on the message boards. I believe in fact, I'm not, I don't believe, I know this is true. She's the one that first tipped people off about the way the producers treated Purple Kelly. She was the one who was very much an advocate for Kelly and for the way the players were treated that season. So she was really cool. And I've interacted with her a couple times. She was very nice to the fans, very gregarious, would always write about the season, would answer questions. So she was really one of the good ones. I really appreciate what she added to the community during her peak. Even though Marty found her idol. Yeah, they're idle. They're idle. <laughs> we found. <laughs> All right. So Lafleur. So Marty has the idol on a spot, and now, and now we're gonna go to Lafleur, and now they're all scrambling before the uh, the vote. It's gonna be either at first it's between Brenda and Nayanka, and then eventually Shannon annoys everybody because he's bossy, and so it ends up with Chase caught in the middle again. Which alliance is he gonna go with tonight? Yeah, it's interesting. I think when we look back on the season, like, we think as, oh, yeah, you know, Espada falls apart. They lose a bunch of challenges and there's a bunch of infighting. But 
the floor has probably one of the most chaotic first votes of any tribe ever here. Where, like you said, multiple targets are flying around. First, like, Alina is trying to bring together Kelly B and Fabio and Shannon and Benry to get rid of Brenda. Basically saying, like, yeah, Nayanka kind of looked like an ass today, so she's fine to keep around. And then once Brenda finds out about that because Shannon tries to get Chasen on it, now they're like, okay, who do we turn on now? Should we get rid of Alina? Should we get rid of Kelly B? And then I think it's Nayanka who's like, no, Shannon's the ringleader. Let's just turn everything on to him. And it leads to probably one of the, the best downfalls in a, from a very short-term <laughs> character perspective that we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, this is the era when alliances start going crazy and switching on the fly before Tribal Council, and it's hard to follow. I will try to give you a little guide here. The way to follow Nicaragua, if you haven't seen it in a while, is just remember there's an alliance of five. They're really the ones in power the entire game. It's Neonka, Brenda, Chase, Sash, and then they keep saying that Purple Kelly's involved, even though we never see it. But that's the five. Those are the five right there. And everyone who's not in that five will be an outsider, really, for most of the rest of the game. And we'll see it definitely next episode when Alina becomes a public enemy number one. But yeah, so it's those five. They want to take out Shannon at this vote. And they want to take out Fabio next. But as Nayanka tells us, Fabio is never a threat. So we can get rid of him later. And this will be his storyline the entire season. And it's also noteworthy before we go to Tribal Council here, because I know there's a lot to say that Nayanka informs Brenda about the, the Sash's Minority Alliance thing. And I remember, I mean... There at the time, there there were some big leaning towards like, oh yeah, Brenda's got this on lock because it's to the point where she even says like, yeah, I'm not even doing anything and I'm being involved in alliances. And I remember a lot of the consensus at the time was like, wow, I don't know how this is happening for Brenda, but like this is a JT like level of social game. She has this mm -hmm. on lock. Yeah, and again, the, the, the argument, the story has no narrative, and not that there's no structure. It really does for most of the season, but then of those five, two of them quit in one episode, Nayanka and Purple Kelly. It, it scuttles the entire narrative, because all of a sudden, the alliance in power is not in power, and there was no lead-up to it anymore. There's not really an overthrow. So that's kind of the thing to remember. There is a storyline for a while. That double quit just kills it. All right, Tribal Council here. This is the one we get there, and, and Jeff Probes basically says, so Shannon, how you doing? And it basically devolves into as many fights as possible for the next 30 minutes. Yeah, so Shannon basically like opens up with the typical stuff, like, I've never been camping, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And then he segues almost seamlessly into just talking about how pissed he is that Chase has betrayed him, saying, you know, he better hope his girlfriend stays with him on the tribe tonight, because if not, he'll be going home next. And then Chase immediately responds by being like, no, you know, I immediately uh, trusted, you know, you from the beginning. And then Shannon in interrupts him to say, oh, no, you're being dishonest right now. And then Jeff just muses, 21 seasons of Survivor, I don't think I've ever seen an opening question open up as much of a can of whoop-ass on a tribe ever. <laughs> Interesting choice of words. It's a very odd choice of words. Because, like, I mean, who is the can being opened on? Like, he seems to imply that the tribe was opening it on themselves, but it was more so like one person just attacking another person for five minutes straight. 
Well, from historical perspective, yeah, this was a big deal at the time that probes would talk about. It. He had a blog, I believe, at the time, and on the message boards they talk about it, that this was like one of the greatest tribal councils in Survivor history, and they hyped it up the week before it aired. This crazy tribal council, wait till you see it. So, like, this was a big moment in Survivor history at the time. It's kind of been forgotten now because Nicaragua is not like a revered season, but this was absolutely one of these standout moments when this season aired. Well, yeah, because I think it's not just this, right? It's like Jay said, it's the and then tribal council because <laughs> then Shannon decides to segue into, I don't know if he thinks he's on his way out the door at this point, but Sash just sort of like has a sly remark of you're digging your own grave. And Shannon says word for word, I'm going to get this out of the way. Are you gay? And then that's just like a, a rabbit hole that they go down. Again, I don't know if Shannon thought the writing was on the wall, so he for some reason wanted to get this homophobic ass stuff out of the way, or whether he thought this was a legitimate pivot to try to like slander Sash. God only knows what this man was thinking, but woo boy. <laughs> yeah, we we learn here that not only is New York full of gay people, according to Shannon, but Sash then reiterates that he indeed is the biggest bachelor in New York City. So we learn a lot about New York dating habits here. Oh, so much cringe here. And I won't repeat the comments that Shannon makes in some of his post-game stuff. But if you really want to see some more, ter- read some more terrible things he said about this whole situation, uh, just Google some of his exit uh, press. He says some pretty... Some pretty terrible things. I think there's a, a famous um, headline from Reality Blurred about uh, about one of his comments. So once again, Shannon was introduced to the show through Russell Hance, correct? <laughs> yeah, let's let's sort of underline that as well. That the man who muses New York is full of a bunch of gay people uh, was brought onto the show via the star of the past two seasons. Yes, the man who quote-unquote saved Survivor introduced us to Shannon and Boo and all of his friends. So, yeah, thank you. All right, so let's let's recap all the fights that happened during this Tribal Council. We have fight number one, Shannon versus Chase. That goes on for a while. Fight number two is Fabio versus Shannon. When Fabio tells Shannon, just shut up, man. Be united. Yeah, and then Jeff responds, Fabio, get your head out of the trees. <laughs> fight number three everyone against Shannon. So now it's the, it's a rumble fight. Number four, Shannon versus Sash. That's the, are you gay? Where Sash does, I'm the biggest bachelor in New York. I've had more pretty women than you've ever had. So they fight. And now we segue into fight number five, where probes compares Nayanka's naivete to Fabio's. Now it's Nayanka against Fabio fight. Number five. Yeah, and this is, but it's it's less so a fight and more so like Nayanka talking about him, Fabio being like, I don't understand what's happening right now. Every time I open my mouth, he got something smart to say. Like I'm dumb. I don't like him. I, well, I think my favorite is Nayanka says, Fabio, I don't like you. And Jeff, for some reason, parents back, Fabio, she don't like you. <laughs> yes. And then Probes asks Nayanka, are you complicated? She's like, me? Complicated? Does his hair whip? And wow, Nayanka's on full peacock display in this one. She's awesome. Yeah, and honestly, there's a lot of, like, gift-worthy stuff here. Specifically, Nayanka's, me? No! Am I? It's almost like three different emotions in one reaction. And it is it is a sight to behold. Well, and to me, I, it, 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 to me it's, it's also one of those where... I think it, it, it lends to your idea that Nayanka is trying to uh, play up something for the cameras because, yeah. you know, 
when when you talk about it, you know, things are getting solidified here. So, you know, everything's kind of up in the air. But but to their understanding, they've got a very, very solid majority alliance, right? You know, with 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 the five that you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, uh, Sash, Brenda, Nyanka, uh, Purple Kelly, and Chase. Chase, yep. So you, you've got this solid alliance, right? And it's like, you know, when you're in the alliance, you can sort of try to dunk on people from time to time because it's kind of like, what are you going to do? Vote me out sort of thing? Right, especially in a game like Survivor, where unlike Big Brother, where power may change hands from week to week, like, you pretty much have a stranglehold on the numbers, numbers barring right. any sort of, like, idols or unforeseen circumstances. Now, that being said, you know, when you're in a majority alliance, you probably don't want to try to, you know, strut and dunk on people as much as possible because, you know, there are tribe swaps and, and you know, things happen, you know, from, from time to time. But I'm sure they sized up Fabio and were just kind of like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I, I will say one of the greatest gifts I ever got writing the Funny 115 is that Fabio sits directly behind Nayanka. So every screenshot, you get the two of their faces as they're fighting. It's so, they're so expressive and it's great. There's, I have like a hundred screen caps of them. Yeah, and there's a great exchange where Fabio says, can we vote? And Nayanka just says, can we? And it's clear, like, they, it's a it's a fantastic way to cap off the end of that conversation of, like, both of them are, are equally as done with it for different reasons. And then we missed the, oh, yeah, we forgot to mention the most tragic part of Tribal Council, where Kelly's leg flies off. <laughs> it's forever flying off. It's terrible. <laughs> Ricochets off the wall. Okay, so we go and vote, and Shannon, not surprisingly, is voted out. Although, there's a really interesting little editing thing here. So... Shannon is voted off seven to three. It's basically everybody votes for Shannon except for Fabio and Alina. They will be Mm -hmm. the two on the outs. But in the next episode, in the previously on, Jeff Probst will say Kelly B voted against Shannon and Kelly B will forever be on the outs now. She did not vote against Shannon. She voted for Brenda. Or or wait, no, what is it? She would, but she voted in the minority. Kelly B was never in the minority on the votes. But the next episode, they just lie and they say she, she voted against the alliance and now she's in trouble. Maybe it was a thing like it was perpetuated on the island and it was so incorrect, but because they believed it, it ended up being the correct narrative, right? Of like, yeah, Kelly B did vote with the majority, but they still hate her. So therefore she's still on the outs. Yeah, but it's funny how probes just lies. It's a straight up lie. Anyway, that's the end of Shannon. Uh, I can't imagine you guys have too much to say about Shannon. Anything we'd like to eulogize about this nice young man? Get I wish he would come here. back. He's just yeah. such a bright light. Everything that's right about the show, you can see through him. No, I mean, he's a terrible person, pretty terrible player. He does have interesting final words, at least, though, where he does his own mental math to say that he's been married for 11 years, so technically he is 41 years old and therefore should have been on the other tribe. It's a good point. As someone who was married at 22, I understand that logic. So, Mario, are you like a septuagenarian at this point, then, according to that logic? Yeah, I'm 46. I've been married for like 23 years. I feel way older than yeah, 46. Yes, so you're almost I, 70 right now. I've seen life. I'm like Dan Lembo. <laughs> but yeah, so, I, I'm surprised we made it this far without mentioning Shannon's gigantic nipples. Oh, yeah, I forgot about those. <laughs> oh, Survivor sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they. what did they call them on Survivor sucks, Jay? Do you remember? No. I'm assuming like pepperoni nipples or something, right? No, Shan nips. <laughs> S-H-A-N-N-I-P-S, Shanips. All right. So, so, yeah, that... So, that, so that being said, like like Paul said, like pause the season here 
and be like, wow, there's a lot of calamity going on. And not to say that there isn't going to be calamity going on with the Younger Tribe. We're about to get into this next episode where Nyanka, you know, physically assaults a woman with one leg to get an idol clue. But because they don't go back to tribal council again, it's kind of going to be swept under the rug as everyone just sort of turns against this outside alliance. Yeah, yeah. From here on out, it's the young people against Alina, Kelly B, and Fabio. Although not so much Fabio because he means nothing. They hate Alina and Kelly B. And those two are on the outs the entire game. All right, let's go to episode three, the death march of the beloved Jimmy Johnson. Let's see, we start the episode here. This is the previously on where, where Probes flat out lies. He says, the Shannon vote left Alina and Kelly B in serious trouble. And they say, Kelly B like voted against the majority. And no, she didn't. But anyway, yeah, that's the narrative here that Kelly B and Alina are in trouble. And that's all we'll really see on uh, LaFleur for a while. And then meanwhile, Jimmy Johnson starting his boot episode by communicating with Howler Monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy's boot episode is surprisingly thin. There's not a lot of good content here. In fact, that was the uh, advertisement for this episode. Next week on Survivor, Jimmy Johnson recruits new players and it's monkeys. But we do in this scene, we get a little bit of, like you mentioned, that sort of like Marty has now sort of taken the Jimmy T side. Like Marty and Jimmy T are not working together, but it sort of is like this, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, where Maury's getting tired of Jimmy Johnson. He says, if Jimmy Johnson, you know, said that you could walk across this damn lagoon, people would be doing it right now. Uh, and so Jill is trying to talk him down. Like you said, Jill's really like the cooler head of the two of them. Uh, even though Marty has the cooler hair by far. But Marty is going to be dead set in this episode in particular of like, no matter what, I have to get Jimmy Johnson out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at it this way. If there's a celebrity on your tribe, it will always be his story. And this is something I know Rafe, I think we talked about this back in Guatemala. Rafe told me after the season, he's like, you know, when Stephanie showed up on my tribe, he's like, I, I knew instantly that no one's ever going to let her win. She either has to be voted out right away so it's not her story or we're going to drag her to the end and she'll be the goat because no one will ever let a celebrity win because we want this to be our season, not hers. And I have to imagine there's a lot of that going on here on Espada. Right. And, and you know, so you have to make an assessment when you have somebody like like Stephanie or or Jimmy Johnson in this case in the sense of do you vote them out now or do you take them to the end, right? And it's like, you know, Jimmy Johnson is a nice person in theory to take to the end because, you know, Stephanie at least has got like challenge winning potential, you know, that can throw some sort of wrench in your plans. But even still, you're pretty confident, like even if she gets to the final vote, she's not going to garner enough votes to win, which was the case in Survivor Guatemala. But they were already talking about Jimmy Johnson going, you know, in the first episode because mm -hmm. Jimmy Johnson not the not not the most of spring chickens out there right and you know for all of his wonderful celebrity and his pump up speeches and all that sort of stuff not he he's you know you've already got Dan Limbo and and things like that like you're going to drag both of them to the end mm -hmm. right so, exactly it's like oh well he's not strong and he's a big name it's just an easy one two punch but yeah this i think this is a big episode for Marty in that this is when I think he really starts to take control as like particularly the narrator of Espada, which it's sort of yeah. like, again, Jimmy Johnson sort of passing the narrative torch. He was the big talking head in the previous two episodes. And now it's going to be Marty for these next two episodes. And I think what Jimmy's doing, you know, he's giving these wonderful speeches and, you know, given his folksy wisdom from this, that and whatnot. And it's, I mean, all of that is, is relatively harmless in the long term. And Hey, it may even be providing some nice, you know, uh, ego boosting benefits to it. But I think that Marty is just basically like he's providing nothing and he's creating noise. It must be gone. 
Okay, so the major stories in this episode is Marty has this idol. Jill is going to persuade him to show it to the rest of the tribe for tribe unity. Say who, this is our idol. We'll all work who, together. Who, who, whose idol? Our, our idol. Our, our, the, the, the circle is expanding, right? It started with Marty, moved to Marty and Jill, and is now the collective we. It is yes. our idol now. The American people now own this idol. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, I also wonder how much this was influenced by Holly coming clean. Like, if Holly had not invented this idea of a group meeting to put everything out on the table, would Jill have been so adamant to say, no, Marty, we need to prove ourselves loyal by you saying that this isn't, we found this idol, but it's going to be used for everybody at the Birch? Yeah, and I, this scene, I always kind of forget this scene is here because Marty does this later in the season two. He takes his idol, hangs it in a tree so everybody can see it. And he's like, you know, I'm doing this magnanimously for everybody. And they're all, thank you. And Jimmy T applauds. We, on behalf of the tribe, we accept this. Dan's like, no, we don't accept this stuff. And but, actually, uh, the irony is that this is going to be the idol that Marty uses to broker to essentially get rid of Jill over himself later on. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. But I want to point out that Tyrone is the only one who's still kind of giving the stink eye to Marty. I don't trust that guy. That guy's shady. So Tyrone knows something's up, and Marty's got a game. But we'll come back to that later. Let's uh, let's go to LaFleur because Fabio actually has a little another winner quote here. And this is the famous hermit crab scene that I love so much. Yeah, see, I would say even more than the first episode, this, I think, is the episode that would point towards at least like a winner winner moment for Fabio, where essentially he says... Yeah, I'm fine being regarded as the goofball who everyone thinks is high all the time because he inhales too much smoke through his swim goggles because that makes me underestimated and that makes me, you know, perceived as valuable to be someone goofy around camp. (laughs) Again, this could be nature's perfect confessional because this one's not frank and edited. This one's exactly as it happened in real life where Fabio's talking about how they're going to underestimate him and no one will take him seriously. And I'm going to slip by everybody. But in the middle of a sentence, he's distracted because a hermit crab walks onto his foot. So he has to change his line of topic mid question, looks down, kicks it off, turns back to the camera and says, hermit crab. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're watching. You're like, okay, it's going well. We got a winner here. Winner win. And then it just like, boom, hermit crab. The thing, like even Fabio can try to be three-dimensional chess with his methodology here, but at the end of the day, he's still going to be Fabio, who gets a hermit crab walking over his foot, punts <laughs> it into the ocean, and then giggles about it afterwards. Yes. Although he does have a good quote. I'll give credit where credit is due. Fabio says, I want to be kept around for more than being funny. I want to be kept around for my mentality, for my spirit. So... He's thinking. He's got a plan. Again, he's not. He's not going to control jack shit in this season. Anybody who thinks the winner has to control something, you're going to be very disappointed in the season because Fabio doesn't come close. But he does say, "I just want them to keep me around for a while, then maybe I can have a run at at the end," which is exactly what happens. Although we do get the follow-up where Nayanka says, "I hate him so much. His hair even annoys me. He's such an airhead." Yeah, you so, knock on his kinda... hair, you knock on his head, and all you hear is hollow. Yes. Okay, so we go back to Espada. Marty has given the idol or shown the idol to everybody. It's our idol. And as we, we learn about Dan's bad knees, right, in his knee surgery. Well, I, I, Dan has an interesting couple of confessionals here where, like, he is not going to take the Jimmy Johnson approach of falling on his sword. He's like, 
you know, I um, I may have a weak knee, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to say I'm as strong as Tyrone, obviously. He sort of, like, goes through the list of people, but he is, according to him, as strong as the women, at least. He's not the weakest link. He might be, like, fifth or fourth from the top, according to him. <laughs> Even though some of the women are built like mooses, as he puts it. <laughs> Who is he talking as, about? As someone from Montana, that is a very beautiful thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's what that's what they call the hourglass figure in Montana, right? The moose figure. Yeah, so, okay. so we have a lot of problems with you know body shaming and and you know self confidence and stuff because not enough women in Montana look like you know moose like they'd like to. All right, see, please somebody dig up the picture of Paul suggestively posing next to a moose. I, please don't find my senior pictures. <laughs> Did they just have you pick an animal to stand next to and stand and stare lovingly at? Wasn't that one of the requirements? Like you have to like, it's like, you know, it has to be this certain size and, you know, nothing distracting in the background aside from the one animal you take a picture with seductively. So that's like the Montana SAT. That's how you get into college. Well, it is one of the requirements. Yeah, I'm assuming these were prom photos, right? They had the picture <laughs> set up outside and you went with, you, you took a picture with your animal date for the evening. Oh, he's not denying it. Okay. All right. So uh, if we go back to LaFleur here, and this is where they're talking about their next target. And again, this won't matter because we're not going to go to LaFleur. Is ever going to go to tribal council again. But I love the scene because they gather on the beach. It's the Alliance of Five, and Benry's there for some reason. And I can never figure out where Benry fits into this alliance because he's like hangs out with them and talks with them, but he's never mentioned as one of their people. But we do find out they need Benry and Fabio for the challenges. So the next vote will be either Alina or Kelly B. Those two have to go. And I got to say, here's one of the most underrated Nayanka quotes. I want to vote out Alina just so it'll send a shockwave to Kelly B. <laughs> so she wants to vote out Alina just to piss off Kelly B. <laughs> anyway, that's my Nayanka quote. She follows it up with, that's what you get, bitches. All right, let's go to the episode three challenge. This is the uh, the barrel toss, the Benry Henry Memorial Challenge. Benry Henry. <laughs> I yes. love calling him Benry Henry that's because that's because that is his name. It's so strange. Yeah, I his called it the barrel name toss. Is ben Benry Henry. <laughs> Benry Henry. It's like the name of a goddamn children's book character. <laughs> like Benry Henry and the Unclean Room. High five. I cleaned it. Uh, right. But yeah, I mean, this all this really, like, the, the big point from this challenge is Tyrone. It's Tyrone versus Benry again. Tyrone gets off to a hot start, but he hits a cold streak, and Jimmy T keeps doing his little, like, horse shack from Welcome Back. Cotter, like, ooh, come on, put me in. Ooh, 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 come on. And uh, Jimmy Johnson isn't doing it, and they lose. Yeah, I, I call this the barrel tossing challenge. It's, I mean, there's 10 barrels, and you have to toss these beanbags onto the barrels. And Benry dominates for the LaFleurs. Tyrone does pretty well for the old tribe, but he gets tired. The coach, Jimmy Johnson, will not put in Jimmy T. Jimmy T has a shit fit. And uh, yeah, this will lead to the breakdown between the Jimmys later. But yeah, Benry is the big star. Remember this, Benry will win a lot of challenges this season. He's a really big challenge threat. This is one of his crowning achievements. Though I think the bigger thing to take away here was what they literally took away, which is Kelly B and Nayanka, of all people, holding that fruit basket together, which what lies within that fruit basket will be a interesting point to focus around in the next little bit. Yeah, let me set this up and then someone else can take it. So 
LaFleur wins immunity. They win reward. Reward is a sustainable herb garden and a basket of fruit. And uh, so they carry it back. And oh, I should point out the girls all told Benry after they won the immunity, we will all massage you tonight. So Benry's going to have a good night. A happy ending for everyone. And now we go. Now we go back to camp. They're all carrying their garden back to camp. Nayanka and Kelly B are both carrying the same basket of fruit, and there's an idle clue in it. And Nayanka says, "When we get back to camp, I'm going to beat the shit out of her for that clue." And guess what? She does. Uh, yeah. yeah. Who wants to touch this one? <laughs> Fun TV. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so basically what happens. Like a, a play-by-play is. They get back to camp. The two put down the basket, and Kelly, I think, reaches for it, but Nayanka flat out just, like, elbows Kelly B out of the way. She falls on the ground. Nayanka grabs the clue, walks away, and just says, yup, and everyone is just very confused as to what just happened. Well, and also, Kelly's leg does not fly off, so somehow it stays on during all this. I'm not sure how that happened. But yeah, there's a great screenshot of Nayanka grabbing the clue, walking away with this big fuck you look on her face. And Kelly B right behind her is doing like the surprise Pikachu face. Yeah, like it's the, a great what screenshot. the hell just happened? Because I think she was expecting like, okay, I'm just going to sneak my hand in there, grab it, and then walk away. I don't think she expected to get like basically, I don't know, not body slam, but like just elbowed out of the way so surprisingly to have Nayanka walk away. And But she is apologetic. She does say sorry about smushing your bananas. <laughs> yes. I love Fabio's reaction to this. You smushed all the bananas? And then Benry says, there was a clue in there. There was a note. Fabio's like, there was a note? (laughs) (laughs) Fabio, always a day late and a dollar short. Wait a minute. What? Where are we right now? Okay, here we go. So Nayanka has assaulted Kelly B, which I would argue in the context of two people fighting for an idle clue that's two feet away from you is probably, I mean, you could make the defense. Anything goes when you're grabbing for the idle clue. But Nayanka now sits down and goes for the confessional. She's like, Kelly B is going to make it sound like she's the victim. She's like, go ahead. I'll do it again. Next time I'll push you so hard that damn leg will fly off. Oh, boy. He's like, you think I'll be nice to you because you got one leg? My name is Nayanka, not fool. So much anger. <laughs> I did like that thing, that she that she thinks like, oh, no, if you name me fool, then I might be more foolish. But my name is Nayanka, the opposite of fool. Yes. <laughs> so, although Nayanka does then delve into the difference between ghetto and hood. She says, I'm hood, I'm not ghetto. And she explains the difference, and I kind of didn't get her logic. Paul, how would you describe the difference between ghetto and hood? Not the right person to ask, Mario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to outsource this answer. Pass. <laughs> Maybe we move on. Uh, but yeah, I think I think this is tough again because it's like it, it's one thing to get in the heat of the moment and, you know, do anything for an idle clue, right? There's always this question of like, what would you do to get ahead in the game? Does not help that a heated Nayanka then sits down and trash talks the one-legged woman that she pushed out of the way for a good, like, full minute. Now, sadly, this is not her greatest moment. The next one's, I think, the next episode when Nayanka says, you better keep that leg away from the fire. Oh, my God. <laughs> Come on. How could you not love the over-the-topness of Nayanka? This is Johnny Fairplay-level villain here. Right, but I think I think there's sincerity here. It's not Johnny Fairplay like having that sneer to it. It's Nayanka being like, oh, man, I'm going to get that one-legged woman. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm I'm honestly truly surprised. Not not necessarily in this situation, but you know, I think that you know, isn't it a rule in Survivor? You know, correct me if I'm wrong. It's a rule you cannot physically like, you know, punch somebody, and if you do, like, you'll be asked to leave the game. It's true, but the producers set it up where it's gonna happen when they put something in a communal <laughs> box for everyone. So the producer that may indeed be a rule, but screw the producers for encouraging it to happen. Exactly. And so that's that's my whole thing is that the producers put people like, you know, a survivor, you know, the season previous with the with the infamous Treasure Island house, exactly. you know, and, and, and things like that. Like they put people in the situation where they have to maybe maybe like wrestle or jostle for clues. And it's like things like this is going to happen. Right. And it's like we can all sit here and, you know, villainize Nyanka for pushing Kelly Bruno out of the way for the clue. But it's like that's literally what the producers wanted to have happen. Mm hmm. And it's like, well, what are you going to do? Like, you know, possession is nine tenths of the law, ten tenths of the law out here in Survivor as it is. If you have it in your hands, you have possession of it. Right. And so, you know, you can say, well, Nyanka was unfair and like, you know, elbowing Kelly B out of the way. But it's like it's literally how it was set up to do. We talk about how, you know, oh, you can't make friends out here. You got to, you know, keep your emotions in check and do what you need to do to win. And it's like, well, if they put an idol clue in front of you. They put some sort of, you know, advantage in front of you and you have to, you know, elbow somebody out of the way to get it. You're going to do it. You probably should do it. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a hard time with, you know, you, you know, yeah, you know, then she has confessionals where she's all, you know, pumped up from the moment and, you know, crowing about her victory and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I sit here and go, why are we why do we have this situation? Why is yeah. this a mm -hmm. thing? Well, this goes back to what we talked about with Micronesia. The show started to get very trashy around that season. And like you even think back to two episodes ago, or one episode ago, Holly in an earlier season would have been thrown out of the season for stealing Dan's shoes and ruining them. But now we're encouraging it. It's a great moment. So that's the thing. The producers are getting very flexible with their rules. It's a bad headline, but a headline nonetheless. You know, woman shoves one-legged woman aside to get an idol clue. Like it's it's a it's a, it's a mm -hmm. moment that they'll be able to show. Granted, again, it is not displaying the person in the best light, but it's definitely it's one of those moments that people do remember from this season, for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, it's a stroke of luck or bad luck. It happened to be Nayanka and Kelly B, who she already had it in for Kelly B leading up to that. But yeah, that was just the producers set up stuff like that to happen, and they can be all aghast later. Oh my God, can you believe? Like yeah, like. Not to talk about it too much, but there's some definite scenarios later in the seasons of the 30s. The producers set stuff up and they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. I'm like, screw you. You set that up to happen. You wanted it to happen. So although I should it should go without saying, Nyanka, of course, lost her job after the season. I don't know if people know that she was she was a PE teacher at a school. Mm -hmm. She was fired because of the portrayal on TV, which whatever. But again, that that's what happens with this trashy show survivor has turned into by now you get these situations where really bad stuff can happen well i think again it also goes back to the the age stuff as well too right that like again it's not people in their 30s it's people in their 20s we've all been through our 20s we know how impetuous we can be at that time so i do think a lot of the decisions that were made on the floor or the actions that were done were done a bit in immaturity, especially when you have other people of your age on the tribe that sort of feed that behavior as well. Yeah, although I should point out, you don't think Marty would have beaten somebody to death for an idol clue in the fruit basket? No, he would say, he would say it's our idol clue. <laughs> yeah. I want to see Marty and Jimmy T fighting for a clue. Well, no, Jimmy T would have taken out his cutlass and just, you know, really <laughs> done a swashbuckle. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, let's go to the end of the episode here. I want to skim through this because I want to get through four episodes in this podcast. This is the last 20 minutes are Jimmy Johnson's final moments where not a lot happens here. Spot is going to tribal council. It's going to be Jimmy Johnson or Dan. Again, Dan will forever be a target. But Jimmy Johnson basically is a neat scene here where she kind of he kind of talks to uh, Jimmy Johnson, kind of talks to uh, Marty here. And Jimmy all, almost asks Marty to vote him out. It's kind of an interesting scene. He's like, you know, this is your tribe. You know, if I'm not here, you got to take the reins. You got to lead someone to a million dollars. So Jimmy kind of knows, I think, the writing's on the wall here. And this does lead into the bigger question that people have asked for years. Does Jimmy Johnson just quit here and the and the episode never showed it? I mean, it's sort of like, I think it, it sort of is like what we went back to with BB, right? Where like, it wasn't an actual quit. It's more so he saw the writing on the wall. You know, last time they said, oh, it's between Coach and Wendy. Wendy left. Guess who's next on the chopping block? That I think he saw the limits of his skills. He saw the situation he was in. He himself talked about how this was the toughest thing he had ever done, and he had underestimated the experience. So I don't think he quit, but I would say that I think he was definitely at peace with how he left, unlike the person that went before him. Yeah, and there's not really a whole lot that happens this episode. It's going to be Jimmy or Dan, and it's the ethics. Can we vote out Jimmy Johnson? Although there's a nice nice little subplot of Jimmy T once again being an asshole, just yelling at everyone that nobody's giving him a chance and he wants to be heard. It's like, shut up, dude. Yeah, well, the the moment comes at Tribal Council. Really, I think the height of Jimmy T's, as Jim, as Mario's going to say, delusions of grandeur, where basically Jimmy T's like, yeah, me and Jimmy haven't sat down and really talked. And Jeff's like, really? We're nine days in and that hasn't happened. And Jimmy T's like, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's because, you know, I'm a leader type and, and he's threatened by me. He feels jealous. And again, uh-huh. a great Tyrone reacts <laughs> moment where he just flat out calls that baffling. I think, it, I think that, sorry, to go back to the previous I also think it happens more than necessarily we see, and it's it's again a editing in the sense, you know, think back to Australia, right? And the Colby-Tina alliance has a stranglehold on the game. They were literally letting people know that they were going to go, and, you know, there's that whole famous thing where, you know, they talked to Roger, and Roger was like, vote me out for Elizabeth because I have a bunch of money and I don't need the, the next place finish sort of thing. And it's like, you know, there. I think that that happens where people they sort of know either get told or they you know get an accurate sort of readout of like how people are going to be voting and and it's coming down against them and they kind of go to the people in power and are like, is there anything I can do to change your mind? And they're like, I don't really think so, Coach. And then, you know, then he's gonna you know probably just sort of relax and you know go with it and enjoy his time and say all these speeches and everyone go, well, he quit. And it's like, well, Roger didn't quit in Survivor Australia, but, you know, he certainly didn't fight super hard to get voted out. But again, that probably isn't the point. And I think that that happens more often than we think, but that's not fun editing for the most part to, you know, just have a, this person's going and he knows it and everyone knows it. And we're just going to, you know, wait till the tribal council and vote him out. Yeah, I mean, that's modern Survivor editing too, right? It's like this person or that person. When it really was like a slam dunk vote, they still had to to not only say like who's going to go, but it really was building up this entire storyline of, okay, this was Marty's doing. Marty was the one who got rid of Jimmy Johnson because he felt yep. like the celebrity should leave. When really, it was just a very straightforward idea. He was the weakest, you know, and he he was a threat in the fact that he was a big name. Okay, I have to say this, and I probably should have researched this a little more because we're a podcast called Survivor Historians. We try to clear this up. 
I have heard rumblings over the years. It might have been from Dr. Jill. I don't remember who told me this, that Jimmy actually did quit. Jimmy Johnson actually quit. But the, the, the episode and the producers just would not show it. So they made them do a vote instead. Have you guys heard that? Not that no. I recall. Not that I would be shocked. Yeah. I, I, yeah again, I'm, I'm not going to say I would be shocked. I'm not trying to, you know, everything that I said is valid. That being said, if Jimmy mm -hmm. Johnson actually quit and they covered it up, you know, with a with the editing and the vote and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, fine, whatever. But like, you know, yeah, it's survivor Nicaragua, man. Like, you know. who cares? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter to me all that much, but if you want to go down a rabbit hole, Google did Jibby Johnson quit survivor Nicaragua. Cause I know there's been stuff written about this and it's very shady. What really happened again, it makes no difference in the season. Personally, I don't care if people quit one way or another, but I, I have heard that it was not portrayed exactly the way it went down. And let's see, the only other significant thing that happens before Jimmy Johnson goes is that uh, Holly and Jane make a pact that have each other's backs for a while. Though, If I'm in danger, you'll tell me, I'll tell you. That comes into play later, if I recall, but nothing for now. For now, it's just Jimmy Johnson's gone. Espada can finally have a storyline that's not him. I have your back. You have my back. Do you have my back? I have your back. What do you feel about snails? How much are your shoes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how good are you at swimming? <laughs> Okay, so we don't have much to say about Jimmy Johnson that hasn't already been said. Again, the, probably the biggest celebrity who's ever been on Survivor has almost no impact on the season whatsoever other than persuading Holly not to quit, I guess. But that's and, about and, it. And, but... and, he, and from an airtime perspective, he was a big part of the first three episodes, which, again, leaves this weird question, even in episode four, of like, what now? The main narrator of the older tribe is gone now. What happens next? And apparently what happens next is Jimmy T keeping everyone up all night, horrendously singing American Girl. I wasn't sure if we were going to get through three or four episodes on this podcast, but the next episode is so straightforward and quick that we're just going to whiz through it. Basically, here's the short version. Jimmy T wanted to get rid of Jimmy Johnson so Jimmy T could be the leader. Jimmy T crashes and fails every, at everything he tries so spectacularly, he is instantly voted out. That's the next episode. <laughs> yeah, this really is like an amplification almost of the Wendy stuff, right? Because this was a long time coming of like, Jimmy T's like, great, I can spread my wings. Can't you feel a brand new day? And it's just him being utterly failure at everything from trying to throw the net out by himself despite the fact that he is a fisherman to trying to keep morale up like and then it cuts to marty who is now being like oh yeah okay now it's time. jimmy johnson jimmy Tar tarantino's time to go like i'm i'm done with him uh, we were we were allies for a short period of time but now i don't need him anymore here's a tip anyone who's listening who wants to go on survivor you know in all that sort of stuff if you ever have to utter the phrase give me a chance at something 98% of the time you are on the wrong track, right? Like if you want to be the leader of the tribe saying I could be the leader, you all need to give me a chance is probably not the Avenue. Like it's, it's, it's literally probably the exact opposite Avenue you should take. Well, not to mention, it's also going to be this weird, stupid ass convoluted logic where after they lose the challenge, you know, Jimmy T is going to be like, Oh man, I wish I had been put into a role in the challenge. And they're like, would it have made a difference? He's like, no, but the opportunity would have been nice. I would have really liked it. A couple of great quotes here at the start where Marty is now running the tribe now that Jimmy Johnson's not there. Jimmy T is the last obstacle in the way. And Marty says, all you got to do is give Jimmy T or all you got to do with Jimmy T is give him a little rope and he'll hang himself from the nearest branch. 
It's just what happens. Although Jimmy T has one quote about Jimmy Johnson. You said earlier that Jimmy uses weird words. Jimmy says, all Jimmy Johnson ever did for us was give speeches that any chucklehead could do. <laughs> I guess they said that a lot aboard the schooners or the yacht arms. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's see. We're going to race through this episode. So LaFleur finds an idol. Nayanka has the clue with Brenda. They go look. And Nayanka finds the idol, puts it in her sock, and yeah. says, not even a one-legged person can stop me now. Which is and also, <laughs> was it her sock, or was it, was, is she still co-opting Fabio's socks? And, is, and, and does that make it his idol, technically? Oh, that's an interesting ethical question. That could be Fabio's idol. But yeah, I think Nay also takes the exact opposite approach than Marty did, where she's like, yeah, I found this with Brenda, but actually it's my idol and only my idol. Yes. Yeah, Brenda Brenda solves the clue, figures it out, Nayanka. So Nayanka has an idol, which she will never use. She'll quit the game with that idol later. But uh, And now, just again, every time I think Nayanka has reached peak villain, I forget she has one more scene to double down. She finds the idol, and now she goes and mocks Alina and Kelly B for looking for the idol and basically calls them idiots and tells her, keep your leg away from the fire. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, this is really... This is really tough because Kelly B and Alina are just sitting there and Nayanka, true to the man who recruited Shannon himself, wants to do quote unquote mental warfare, which surprise, surprise, never works on Survivor <laughs> by like getting in their head by basically being like, hey, I have the idol and I don't like you. But man, oh, the irony of Nayanka saying, I hope I can mentally torture Kelly B enough that she quits the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. And I just have in my notes here, on Espada, Marty and Jimmy T spar over leadership. And next to it, I just wrote, duh. <laughs> so, okay. So the immunity challenge in this episode is every, both tribes pick a leader, and he's going to be the caller, and everyone else will be blindfolded, and you have to go around and pick up all these items in the in the woods, whatever. And Sponsored once by again, Sears, right? I was going to say, after, after this challenge, did Jimmy T say, et tu, Sears? <laughs> the Sears give it, the Sears take it away. I would say it's kind of a slap in the face that this is the episode he goes home on. Oh, wow. I never caught that before. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, but yeah. And so what is this? Marty? Is it? Uh, yeah, Marty. Marty picks Tyrone as the caller just to troll Jimmy T. Yeah, basically. And so Tyrone and Brenda are the callers. And honestly, it's just that the younger people use the medallion of power. They get two items automatically. And surprise, surprise, that's a significant lead and gives them the win in the challenge. Yeah, the young people dominate this challenge. And Tyrone does his best, but no one can hear him. Jimmy T doesn't listen. It's just a huge crash and burn. Jimmy T is so pissed they didn't pick him as caller. Anyway, we're going to go back to Espada's last tribal council. But first, we have a scene I have to mention, just because this is so emblematic of what Survivor has turned into by this point. Okay, so LaFleur won the immunity challenge and the reward. Thank you, Benry. Benry, high fives, everybody. They go back to camp, and Fabio pulls out this tarp. They have a tarp, and he, he says, Yay, Kelly Purple can sleep now, because this has been Purple Kelly's issue all along. She has no clothes. She's freezing. They always get hit by the rain. They have a tarp. Fabio's first instinct, if you watch, is to be happy for Kelly Purple, because he's looking out for her, and he's caring towards other people. And this is why he wins this, the, the season later. However, we do not see any of that Kelly Purple and Fabio interaction because in the foreground, Chase found an idol clue. And it's far more important to find the show the idol clue hunt than Fabio actually bonding with someone who's going to give him the winning jury vote. 
I just wanted to point that out. Though I think this is supposed to play into, again, the whole Brenda mastermind arc in that I don't think it matters that Chase finds the clue because the idol's been found. It does matter that Chase goes to Brenda about it because, duh, and Brenda now sort of has to negotiate these two different allies who call her their number one, one of which has an idol and one of which doesn't. And now she's trying to put together, like, this really shaky triangle of an alliance of people who sort of trust each other, though they both trust her vehemently. Yeah, as again, it's just my point, though. You can show why Fabio won, or you can go the other way and show why Chase lost and Brenda lost. And they yeah. choose that instead, which always bothers me when I watch this scene. Right. I would much I mean, rather see why Fabio won. Yeah, but 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 again, Mario, you, it's been established. It's been established in the show that, that showing people being nice to tribe mates and supporting them uh, you know, with actions and words and, and, and caring thoughts and stuff like that is just not good TV. So you're sitting here going like, they're not showing the good TV. It's like, yeah, they're not. I know. Again, it's just bright, shiny objects. The audience would rather see the bright, shiny object. Everyone go looking for the idol. But again, I always have to point that out. You can see in the background why Fabio gets Kelly Purple's vote, which you could argue is the one that wins him the game. So just had to throw that out there. All right, so back to Espada. We're about to lose Jimmy T, the, as Jay said, the most significant, insignificant character ever. First, they have a fight. There's like a fight over sea urchins. They're eating sea urchins, and Marty is not eating enough for, for Jimmy, so Jimmy says he's not being part of the team. And Marty's like, fuck you, dude. Well, no, because they, they, I think they were going for it together, and Marty was like eating a couple off on his own. And JT's like, uh, oh, you're not contributing to the company pot. And Marty's like, I, I don't care. And Jimmy, and they basically, they just get into a little spat about it. And Marty very, uh, very like vociferously basically compares their, com their confrontation to putting a gun to your mouth, pulling the trigger and blowing your brains out from Jerry and Jimmy <laughs> T's perspective, essentially saying like game over, but in a very graphic way. Yeah, that that's the rule on Espada. People forget that. Do not cross Marty. And that would have been a much more significant storyline if they don't twist the very next episode. But yeah, Marty is in complete control here. Jimmy T has crossed him for the last time. We go to tribal council and once again, the girls all want to vote out Dan because Dan is worthless. But Marty starts throwing his weight around. We got to get Jimmy T out. And Jimmy T is voted out, I think, five to three. Yeah, it's, it's probably the closest vote they've had so far. But I think even he sees it's actually actually pretty comparable to Wendy in that he's a pretty outrageous character, but he has confessionals like, you know, I'm not feeling so good. I haven't been able to bond with these people. And he actually has like a therapy session at Tribal Council where he admits that, you know, he, he begrudgingly is fine being a follower and like actually has to pause for a second because he's super emotional about it. It's, it's a weird thing where, like you said, it is a march to the grave for Jimmy T., but it's very clear that this this experience has shaken him a lot, and he is surprisingly emotional about everything. And with that, do we want to eulogize Jimmy T, the first Survivor Sears contest or casting contest winner in Survivor history? I think Jay needs to. He's the one that came up with the most, what was the line? Most... The most irrelevant, relevant Survivor player. Yes, I like that. Uh, or was it relevant or relevant? I don't know. It, Jimmy T's one where... Again, I, I think that Mike's point, I think that my point with that line is is almost more eloquently put by Mike in the beginning of this episode that, that we've done here, which is that these first few boots, you know, with Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy T, uh, Shannon, for better or for worse, you know, and, and even Wendy to, to a point. But these first four episodes are very, I don't want to say action packed, even though I guess they are, but they're very rich with lots of little things going on there. You know, and 
uh, I think that that Jimmy T really, you know, every time he was on screen, you know, it's not like he was, you know, the most entertaining thing ever on planet Earth. But like, I didn't really hate most Jimmy T scenes. You know what I mean? Like, was he annoying at times and things like that? Sure. But but you can you can see why he wins, you know, the the right to go on the show via the Sears, you know, search and whatnot. Like like he, there's something to him, you know, and it's not a thing that's going to win Survivor. You know, like he's probably drawing dead before he gets there. But for for what it's worth, I thought he made fun TV, I guess. Yeah, he was definitely entertaining. And look, he sort of served his purpose. And it is interesting how, you know, it's almost a, to a different extent, like the whole Josh and Jeremy thing from Samuel Del Sur, where Jimmy Tarantino was so hyper-focused on Jimmy Johnson that he doesn't see Marty coming from a mile away to take him out once he's done. But it's one of these characters that I always forget about because he really is larger than life. Between his his look in general with the long hair and the mustache and his weird choice in words and him just like really being so consistent about how he's coached children's teams and how he's coached all these things and how he really needs to be given a chance and he never is and when he is he fails at it. It's it's a big arc for him and I do feel a bit bad for him. Like in his final words, he feels so legitimately disappointed, saying he blew a huge opportunity and he feels like he let people down. And it seems like he's like a, a good rollicking part of the community now, but he is definitely, I think, one of the bigger personalities and bigger arcs when it comes to pre-merged characters, but I would also say one of the more forgotten ones in the long run. And we can't forget the last thing anybody says about him is Holly saying, come on, guys, you need to give him a chance. So Holly, always the best at reading the room. <laughs> well, I think maybe she was trying to take the mantle from Jimmy T of like, all right, coach has inspired me. Now I shall be the one giving the pep talks. That's right. And as always, we can never forget Jimmy T's final words. Avast ye mateys, you broadsided me. <laughs> <laughs> Had to work that in there. Okay. Uh, I have to end this. We're going to stop at four episodes. We have a, a hard cutoff today. But I have to finish with my Jimmy T story. Just because I, I have strong opinions on this. And I want to get your opinion as well. So a couple of years ago, we're talking 2014, 15, maybe six years ago. I was part of a project where people were trying to pick the top 100 characters in Survivor history, which is oh, a very I remember fa- that. Yeah. Do you remember why that group broke up, Jay? Because uh, the idea was dumb, but keep going. <laughs> the idea was vague. Jay and I were both part of this team. There was like six Survivor fans, and we're putting together this list, the top 100 characters. And of course, you cannot agree. Is it the top players, the top characters? Right. It was just top, top Survivors or whatever. And the group disbanded because we ended up in a fight. We could not break up. <laughs> I remember this now. Totally because forgot. the old timers in the group, like Jay and me, thought Gretchen Cordy was very important to consider as one of the top 100 characters in Survivor history. Gretchen from Borneo. The new school people thought Jimmy T from Nicaragua should take her place <laughs> instead. So the Jimmy T versus Gretchen blood debate divided the group to the point we could not finish the list and we oh, all rage quit oh, because nobody God. would bet. I wow. remember that now. I forgot that it was Jimmy T. I remember we had a, a, a row over Jimmy T, but I forgot it was Jimmy T or Gretchen. Yeah. Oh. And to this day, I have to hate Jimmy T because he ruined that list. Because Gretchen is way more important than Jimmy T. And oh, that's, that's, oh, yeah. that even yeah. an argument? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jimmy I know it's T these ru- new Jimmy school... Jimmy T ruined that list, Mario. Jimmy yeah. T ruined it. <laughs> it's these new school chuckleheads that all argue that Jimmy T is bigger than Gretchen. And it killed me. I had to quit. So anyway, I just had to bring that up. 
And that is how you end a podcast. Agreed? Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tough. Like, I know we, we sort of breeze through episode four, but arguably, I think we have just concluded, like, the high point of Survivor Nicaragua. It's going to be a weird stretch from here on out. I Here's the thing. It's like, this is what I think, like, moving, like, there's always going to have to be a tribe shuffle like from here on out, like very few. I know in the next couple seasons, they, they, they back off from it, but then it pretty much just comes to standard that we have to mix things up. We have to mix things up. We have to keep adding these things in. But I feel like at this point, like there's so much that can happen on both. Like, I feel like there's still so much to happen story-wise with both these tribes that just to like, you know, completely mix it up and throw everything else. It just kind of like the story was going somewhere. Well, see, I'd argue there's still a lot of really fun, big moments in the season, but they contribute nothing to the storyline. They're just, again, SNL skits. So I really like this season. I'm really looking forward to talking about parts two and three of this podcast. But to Mike's point, I mean, yeah, the best part of the season's really over. It's really various degrees of incomprehensible or just probes lying to you about what's happening until we have a winner in the, that emerges out of the dust. But I'd argue that in itself, in and itself is a fun story when someone wins with no story. I like that. So is that, uh, are we done here? Or part one of Nicaragua? Are we ready to wrap it up? Yeah, I think we're done with our podcast. <laughs> our, yes. We, we did a great job. We did wearing our gold because that's what winners. Winners are. carry gold. <laughs> to quote right. Eve, who will be a star of, of part two here. I'm glad we mentioned Eve at least twice in this podcast. So that's hopefully will make up for the zero times we'll mention her next time. Including her boot. We probably won't even mention it. <laughs> we'll just talk about Jimmy T again. Oh, yeah. No, next time we have to get into the by far still one of the most baffling things to be seen on Survivor. The Kelly Bruno tie vote thing that still nobody knows exactly what happened to this day. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I don't know why people can hate this season. It's so weird and so incomprehensible. You have to love it because it's such an outlier. That's how I look at it. But again, I know people take Survivor more seriously than I do, so they really don't like seasons that are don't make sense. This season is the king of not making sense. <laughs> All right, so we're going to sign off here again. Thank you for listening. Hope everyone's safe out there during the pandemic. Stay safe. Uh, I don't know when our next episode is going to be out. Uh, I guess that won't matter if you binge these episodes in 10 years and they appear back to back. But in real life, there may be a gap here. But anyway, thank you for listening. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Ostlison. And the words of Jimmy Tarantino are. Talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Bye. We got to find it. Got to keep digging. Can't give up, I guess. We know it's here. I know we must be close. Ido, baby. I got the first. We got the Ido. We got the Ido. We got it. Hermit crab on my foot. <laughs>